Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My name is Ariel. I moved to the U.S. at 19. I spoke no English, and I struggled finding job opportunities. Everything I have, I owe to the Adult Literacy Center and getting my high school diploma at age 22. It was an honor helping you achieve your greatness. Now you're helping others achieve theirs. It inspires me. When you graduate, they graduate. Find free and supportive adult education centers near you at finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Coming up on Roland Martin Unfiltered, we're the latest coronavirus numbers, which continues to rise in some areas, but a number of cities are reopening anyway. There are COVID-19 drug trials going on. We'll talk with an infectious disease specialist about that and whether there's a possibility of a vaccine. Michigan is one of the hardest hit cities. First of all, states in the country. Detroit is one of the hardest hit cities. We'll be joined by Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist. We're talking about what they're doing to protect the citizens there in Michigan. Also, we'll update you with the latest in the murder of Breonna Taylor. Plus, we'll talk with a Black Lives Matter activist from Louisville and a former pastor who ran to, who ran to make a point on Ahmaud Arbery's behalf. Wait till you see the video and the reaction from other white folks. Parents have had the opportunity to see just how hard it is to be a teacher. The 2019 Teacher of the Year is here to talk about honoring parents for the work that they do. And wild it out with comedian Nikki Mora. Plus, we pay respects to Bob Watson, who became the first black general manager in Major League Baseball history for the Houston Astros, then became the first African-American to win uh, a World Series title as an executive. 
He died last night at the age of 74. Folks, it's time to bring the funk on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Let's go. He's got it. Whatever the miss, he's on it. Whatever it is, he's got the scoop, the fact, the fine. And when it breaks, he's right on time. And it's rolling. Best believe he's knowing. Putting it down from sports to news to politics. With entertainment just for kicks, he's rolling. As of today, there are 1,477,227 confirmed cases of coronavirus in the United States, 88,110 deaths uh, so far, folks. We are fastly approaching 90,000. 307,916 people have recovered. Now, one of the things that's 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 interesting here, and frankly, it's 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 weird, uh, if you will, uh, is that you're, you're dealing with a truly crazy person who is president. Um, and uh, yesterday, this nut was actually in Pennsylvania. And, and he made this stunning comment regarding testing that we're all still sort of trying to figure out um, what the hell he was talking about. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy what he's talking about. So Donald Trump literally said that, well, the reason... We could have lower tests. We could have lower confirmed cases if we didn't test people. I'm. I, I don't even. I don't even know what what the hell that means. Um, it, it, you know, what we're dealing with, folks, is how truly nuts this dude is. First of all, I mean, listen to this. We have tested two months ago, didn't even exist. Our great companies came up with things, Abbott Laboratories and so many others. They came up with things at Roche. They came up with things that nobody even believes. So we have the best testing in the world. It could be the testing's, frankly, uh, overrated. Maybe it is overrated. But Whatever they start yelling, we want more, we want more. You know, they always say, we want more, we want more, because they don't want to give you credit. Then we do more, and they say, we want more. But we have the greatest testing in the world. But what we want is we want to get rid of it. And we have the best test. We have tested. Oh, okay. I, I don't even know what that... I, I like, like, literally, I have no idea what the hell that means. I don't even... Uh, you, you can't even explain what the hell that even means. It's so crazy that PJ golfer Roy McElroy, who has played golf with Donald Trump before, said, not going to happen again. Uh, he was highly critical of this by saying that why you keep making it sound like we're in some kind of competition with other states? He's like, we're not in competition with other states. Let's go to my panel. Rob Richardson, host of Disruption Now podcast. Brittany Lee Lewis, political analyst. Chris Prudhomme, Republican strategist. Chris, I, I don't understand. How do you say 
um, just how amazing and wonderful the tests are. First of all, he touts these Abbott tests. The FDA has now issued a warning saying that they're issuing many false, false negatives. Two, Trump says testing is overrated. What, what the hell is that? You know, Roland, uh, the, the many times I've spoken to you uh, on numerous topics, like I always tell the people, I always tell them, like, I mean, obviously there's been numerous challenges and, and obviously numerous issues uh, uh, since, since this pandemic. Um, it's clear that President Trump has, has his thoughts. Um, and, and it certainly is clear that Dr. Thompson has his thoughts. Okay, uh, hold, I, hold, hold, Chris, Chris, hold on one second. Your audio is low. So I want our control room to work with you. I think you may need to increase your output volume on your end. So they're going to work with you so we can do that. Because we, we, we really we can't, we can barely hear you. Uh, let me go to Brittany. So guys, control room, y'all work with Chris on his audio. Brittany, I, I, I don't, I, I can't make up what, what, what the hell this dude is talking about. This is scary, Roland, to be honest. And all I hope is that the American people come out and vote. Um, I recently just saw a study that came out by one of the most prestigious medical journals calling for U.S. citizens to vote because of the botched response um, to this COVID-19 epidemic. And I mean, testing, testing is underrated. We have 87,000 people that have died in this country as a result of his botched response. And um, we're still not doing the level of testing. We're nowhere near the level of testing that's necessary um, for all of these states to be opening up. It's absolutely petrifying. And I pray um, that he is not the president, um, you know, when the election comes around. Uh, I, you know, Rob, when you listen to this full talk, I mean, his whole deal, oh, yeah, so it's just downplay testing. So how in the hell are you supposed to know if somebody is sick? Uh -oh. Well, Roland, if you try to understand crazy, you might go crazy yourself. So I can't profess to understand him at every moment, but I'm going to try a little bit. I, I, I think what, they're, what the strategy is of not only Trump, but I'm going to say the Republican Party because that's their standard bearer, um, they're going to they're gonna say, let's pretend like we don't have a problem. Let's not talk about it. Stop talking about testing. Stop thinking about it. We just need to reopen the economy and hope everything goes well. They think that if the economy can go well and they can stop talking about this stuff, maybe they can move on to something else. Uh, although people are dying, I don't know what else they want to talk about, but their goal is to distract and to not talk about this because he doesn't, it makes him look as bad as he really is. That's the problem. Well, yeah, I mean, I just, and, and, and again, he, he, he says this stuff and it, it just literally makes no, no sense whatsoever. Uh, and people are out there. I mean, again, the death toll is increasing. I mean, yeah, no, the death toll is increasing. By there's this, this balance that his people roll in, you know, that, and not only his people, there are people that are want to go back out, want to open the economy, want to look for any reason to do so. And they don't want to look at the inconvenience that the fact that deaths are still rising. But, you know, there's this, there's this, there are businesses that are out there that want to reopen. We know the unemployment numbers are where, are, at a, are really at record numbers for the amount of time that we're in. So you have that going on. They want to do anything to try to push the economy back out. But here's what they need to understand, Roland. Doing this prematurely will have long-term worse effects because what we know, and, you know, long story, I won't go, get too much into this, but uh, what my company does, we do some stuff with research and we've looked at this and people are not coming, no matter what, people are not coming out even after healthcare professionals tell them that it's okay. They're not going to come out for a, a good amount of time. So the economy is not going to work until it's safe. So we need to get testing up. This makes no sense for actually trying to get the economy together. But again, this guy never makes sense. 
The thing here, uh, I think we got Chris's audio straight. Uh, Chris, uh, what's crazy about all of this, Trump at one point said, we have 15 cases in the United States, we'll be down to zero. Then it was the number began to change, so then it was, well, fewer deaths possible, then we went to 20, then 30, then he was like, maybe 40, okay, maybe 50, 60, okay, now we can keep it under 100. We're at 88,000 today. We're likely going to be at 100,000 deaths next Friday. Are they going to move the number somewhere else? Uh, so no, no, I, I don't think so. And look, look, the reality is that, and I don't go back to what I said initially, uh, we all know this has obviously been a challenging process, and, and we know uh, President Trump has uh, much different thoughts than, than Dr. Fauci. It, it, that's very evident. It's very clear. Uh, it's also very clear that he has his own mind, and he he not only says things that that, that obviously that that are factual, but he also I think has a certain sense of uh, pragmatism in terms of in terms of how he wants the economy to be, how he wants uh, the nation to be in terms of back in good standing. So, and I say all that to say, Roland, look. Uh, I, I always say, as you know, we, we talk, and I talked about what's right, and, and I always, I'm always honest, fair, and true, uh, but much as I am as a supporter of him and, of course, also the Republican Party, but I'm, I call it like it is. Uh, he's an optimist, and he wants things to be back. Uh, he, he, want, he said today on television uh, the, the third quarter is going to be a transition, the fourth quarter is going to be great, but you have the Fed chair uh, who actually said something totally different than that. So I, I, and I said that, so I think he has a certain level of optimism. He wants the economy to get back. He wants things to be booming, because obviously it's election season. Uh, so he wants things to be back on track, and I think rather quickly. But when you have a Fed chair who says something otherwise, um, I think it doesn't make it, it's, it's challenging for him. And I think he's trying to uh, move the market. He's trying to be encouraging, in a sense, from an economic standpoint. Well, I'm Chris, not he's lying. It's, it's not, it's not he's lying. Chris, I mean, he's lying. Chris, he's not being Chris, he's lying. He's delusional. He's delusional. And <laughs> go ahead, Roland. No, go, Rob, go ahead, Rob, go ahead. No, no, no I'll go, say he's, he's delusional. Here's the problem, and I, and I understand, uh, Chris, uh, you did a great job of trying to defend him and. I'll try to help you out with a little bit of bipartisanship. I mean, the man just wanted to run a reality show. He thought he could just run this like a reality show, have a little fun, go up there, say whatever he wants. You know, the problem is he's actually going to have to work. He's actually going to have to uh, do his job. And this is not what he signed up for. He signed up to be a reality, t show, uh, a reality TV show president. This is not a game. This is real life. Uh, he should listen to Dr. Fauci. He doesn't have any medical training, despite all the medical training he said he imported in his brain. He doesn't. He should listen to the experts. And every time he talks, the markets are going down. So it's not working. I mean, I hear you. I know you got to do everything you can. I think you made the best case you could, but is, there is nothing there. Well, and Robin, and I appreciate that. But, but I also do want to point out, too, I mean, obviously, he is a reality star. And, and I do think that, let's be frank, I, I think anybody, but especially for him, I don't. I, I think this is probably the worst case scenario for any president can possibly have in terms of wanting to have a, a pandemic during your presidency. Uh, obviously, this is not something he expected. Uh, but I want to go back. Look at what he's done with the first step back. I mean, he's HBCUs. I mean, so Chris, I do want to point out Chris, some Chris, things Chris, he Chris, has Chris, done. Chris, 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 we're talking about coronavirus. We're talking about so so. I know y'all no. want to bring up other stuff, but here's my whole point here. The man said yesterday testing is overrated. There, 88,000 Americans are dead. We have people walking around no, not, not, knowing, black folks not knowing whether they are Correct. positive or not. We have health care providers who have died. We have people, right. Fauci is talking about how this is impacting children uh, from a very rare disease, and they're seeing all of these cases come up. We're seeing perfectly healthy people fighting mm -hmm. for their lives. We just saw the it, the uh, the virologist for NBC News contract coronavirus. He took all the precautions. 
He said he believes it entered through his eyes. And this man stands up and goes, trust testing is overrated. I'm sorry. Which is the pro- that's not, which that, is the that, that's, that's not being an optimist. That, no, is being, being, that is being ignorant, Chris. Ignorant. And people who look like us are dying at a much right. higher rate than yeah. anybody else. Yeah. So 40% of yeah, Michigan that, alone. So defending this optimist stuff is nonsense. Republicans are going to have to talk sense and say, no, dude, shut the hell up and buckle down on this thing. Stop but talking about Obamagate, stop, which, is B, which is BS. It was actually Russian started. Stop trying to talk about Mike Flynn, everything else in the world. Oh, Obama left the cupboard uh, uh, empty. You're the president. You're sitting yeah. in the job. Bitching and moaning about everybody else ain't going to get you anywhere, Chris. And so at some point... He's going to step up. And the reason his numbers are lagging in these states, the reason seniors are going for Joe Biden at a higher rate than him, because they see he does not know what he's doing, Chris. Yeah. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Chris responded, then Rob. Chris. Yeah, so, so look, bro, I mean, I think we all can, I think we all can conclude you say, I mean, he, he, he didn't anticipate a pandemic. I don't think anybody could. But now well, when it comes well, to well, I, I, stop right there. Stop right there. Please. I wish y'all would stop saying no one anticipated a pandemic. That is a lie. There was a plan that was presented to them. His administration, they were taken through an actual exercise of a pandemic. Now, no one hopes it becomes a reality. But it is, it is not true, Chris, that no one anticipated this. That is incorrect. Yeah. And, well, and, and Chris, hold I on, hold on, Rob. Rob, hold on, Rob. I need him to respond. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. So my thing is this. I, I think in any presidency, no one wants to have a pandemic, right? So when I say anticipated, uh, that was not in his... So, yeah, one could argue it's in his... It's in his I'm not going to make excuses for the man, but one could argue it was not in his thought process. I, I get that. What I'm simply saying is that when he was running for president of the United States, he never thought it was going to be a pandemic. Now, does that change things good or bad that has happened? No, it does not. I, I can't argue with that. It just doesn't change at all. But what I'm simply saying is that I, I think, based on the circumstances... He's, look, he's president of the United States, so whether people like him or not, he is... Right, uh, which means do your damn job. Uh, and, and, I, and I get it. But so, but when you have folks, I mean, let's be realistic. When you have folks like Dr. Fauci, who's been a longtime scientist, very smart guy, very, you can't take it away, very sharp guy. But it doesn't always help when they're, they're saying, obviously, conflicting things, conflicting wait, information. Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. You say it doesn't help when a Fauci says conflicting The problem who with conflicted information ain't Fauci. It's Trump. So, look, if you're Fauci, you can't sit there. Dude, this man stood at a podium and s- talked about infecting, I mean, get, do, taking disinfected. Okay? Birch is sitting there trying, like, not to embarrass him. She should have said, what the hell are you talking about? She should have still been said, no, no, no. America, do not listen to this man. Do, we are not going to study orally taking disinfectant. No. Yeah. Here's the problem I have with this, uh, Chris and uh, Roland, if you can give yeah. me a second. Uh, I've, I've actually never shared this on TV or, or actually publicly yet, but um, my sister died earlier this year, and we didn't know... Oh, yeah. Uh, what the reason for the death was. They thought it was the flu, but they said it was some type of flu that they never seen before. And, you know, now in hindsight, this was in, this was in late January. It could have been this. 
And so, look, I don't see this as a game. And what infuriates me and really pisses me off is that somehow uh, people wearing masks have become like a political symbol. Like if you're wearing a mask trying to protect yourself, somehow you're taking the political side. This is nonsense. Follow the data and protect people's lives. So, like, I don't understand any of this anymore. We're not talking about a tax cut. We're not talking about policy. We're talking about protecting people's lives. Like, I don't, I don't understand how this has become political to follow science, and it shouldn't. Well, period. And, and Rob, and I actually, and I, and I do agree with you on that. I actually I do because the other day in the Senate hearing, it was actually pretty frustrating for me. Looking, and I was being honest, looking at both sides of the aisle, and I thought, and actually, I thought to myself. I couldn't watch them more because to me, it, to me, it, it was not about people anymore. It was about e either people that love Trump or those that hate him. And, that's, and so I do get you in that point. I think it's politicized so much. It doesn't matter what side of the aisle you're on. That it, we we have to remember the people. We have to remember that uh, people that have died. We have to remember us as Americans. And I think we need to but put he's more, not. more on that. He's not though. He's not. And Brit and Brittany, that's the thing that is that that is frankly frustrating because. General Russell Honore has been sitting here constantly tweeting and saying, you have to have a national testing strategy. We don't. What Donald Trump did was say, states, on y'all, do what y'all want to do, because he does not want to shoulder the blame. He does not want to have to marshal the federal resources. That's what you're dealing with. When, exactly when, right. when you get rid of the one guy because he wouldn't endorse you in that, that drug, hydrochlor, whatever the hell it is, that Laura Ingram. I mean, when, Brittany, when, when you have a Fox News host walking experts into the Oval Office to tout this drug, not real doctors, okay? And now the study shows that drug had no impact on improving the lives of people with the virus, yet here you got Trump up there just, oh, it could, be, it could be a miracle drug. It could work. Maybe not. I don't know. But let's try it. Let's see. And go on and just saying stuff, and Fauci and Birch are like, pump the brakes, pump the brakes. That's the problem. The problem here is the crazy one is the one with the most power. Roland, honestly, it's, it's really scary. It feels surreal. And, um, you know, I think at the end of the day, we think about the black and brown people who are on the front lines for the essential workers who are dying in bulk as a result of his, you know, inability to create a national strategy. It's absolutely petrifying. We are really, you know, at catching the brunt of this issue. And it's <laughs> blood is on his hands, Roland. Blood is on his hands. Where, where we are, Chris, what we're dealing with right now is very simple. We're going to hit 100,000 deaths by next Friday. We've been averaging a thousand, we've been averaging two to three thousand a day. Hundred thousand next Friday. We ain't got we haven't even got to the summer yet. Texas has Texas has seen Texas has seen its largest increase in, in the coronavirus cases since they started counting, and it's always happening since they begin to reopen. You've got Trump out here inciting people, Chris. You've got the Michigan legislature who not going to meet because these gun-toting fools are mad because of the restrictions in the state. Rep Republicans suing in Wisconsin governor, open it back up, open it back up, and folks are dying. And you've got the person sitting with the most power tweeting all day about Obamagate and bitching and moaning about Joe Scarborough and the ratings of Morning Joe. Is that actually leadership, Chris? That a president spends more than half of his day watching TV and rage tweeting? 
So I, I think, look, I think from his standpoint, I think he feels the media obviously clearly is not in favor of him. And I think I think he tries to, to, to frankly change the narrative on other things. I think he wants to focus on, well, not, let me not use the word focus. I think he wants to uh, remind people of other things that, that are important to him as well, in addition to COVID-19. Um, I, I think I think for President Trump, um, he wants to look at ways and is doing that now to uh, essentially to get things back going in a more normal pattern as quickly as possible. Because yes, it is real. This, uh, there's nothing to argue about that. This is serious and this is certainly real. Uh, there's no way to uh, any other way to put it. At the same instant, uh, I do understand that we can't live in this space forever. We can't be here for six months. We can't have stay-at-home orders for half a year. It's just it's not realistic. Uh, the, the reality is that the real lies in the state. You have 25 percent of restaurants who are who will not permanently. Uh, open up again, period. Uh, 36 million people unemployed. I but mean, Chris, but Chris, so, how, Chris, how do you open up? Rob mentioned this earlier. How do you open mm -hmm. up when the numbers show Americans are saying, I'm not going out? So here's, here's so what you're describing. I get all of that, <laughs> but here's what's going to happen. You're saying open up. Okay. So if I got, if I got a restaurant, I'm now mm -hmm. dealing with some places max 20, 50% or 25% capacity. So now mm -hmm. I'm already dealing with fewer people coming in. But now I got to pay these employees for their, their, their full wage and nobody's walking through the door. So I'm going to catch 22. So even if I do open up, because you don't have any national testing, because you've been lagging in that regard, the American public isn't comfortable walking outside of their doors. Now, working on a vaccine is a totally separate deal. But right. because, again, Trump and his admi administration, the CDC totally screwing up, Wasted two months playing around with the whole test. It was a massive failure. He's out there raised tweeting, blaming it on Obama when it was his CDC with the test. So with all of that, please tell me, how can you still have an effective opening, reopening of the country when the American people are saying, we don't even know if it's safe to go out? Well, I, let me say this first, Will, and I'll come back to that. So let's not forget uh, Dr. Ch Dr. Tedrow and the World Health Organization. Uh, I, I think a, a big part of President Trump's uh, his frustration was initially on January 15th, right, with the World Health Organization. Uh, we had a, we had a lot of ambiguity around uh, the transmission, human-human transmission, and and that, that's been known. It's just a, it's a fact, the human-human transmission. And China obviously kept their secrets. Uh, Dr. Tedrow, the World Health Organization, uh, things things frankly were covered up, and I think that and I think that caused a lot of delays. I really do. That caused a lot of delays. Chris, a lot of frustration Chris, for the president. That's a separate Chris, issue, though, I, a, I just want to be Chris. Here's a problem with what you're saying. We have the stories of our own United States military intelligence, who gave direct reports to him that he didn't read in early January. The reason we spend billions on U.S. intelligence is so we don't have to wait for a report from China. The United States intelligence, we have a unit in the U.S. military whose sole job is to track pandemics. They put it in his daily, highly classified briefing. And reports have been done by the Washington Post and the New York Times he didn't read them. So you could keep trying to talk about the World Health Organization. Our own intelligence was telling him this pandemic is coming. We have emails from the guy in Texas who uh, makes masks, <clears throat> emails from January, saying, we're not prepared for this, it's coming. We have an email chain of health executives, CDC, all around the country, saying this thing is coming. He wouldn't listen to his own people. That was the problem, Chris. And here we are, May 15th, 
three months after the fact, still trying to play catch up, and he's in denial about a national test, and the American people are just sitting here, and we're like, so what are we supposed to do? And he's, right, and he's focused on Obamagate. So, oh, go ahead. So, so back, uh, so right, and, and I'm not, I'm not disputing most elements of that. But my thing is this. My thing is this, Roland. Was human-to-human transmission uh, was that something that was looked at? Because I think that, yeah, that's it, the was. Big issue. 15, it was. It was. So we knew the pandemic was coming. We obviously, we obviously knew that. But I think the I think a major fact and a major issue was the human-to-human transmission. That's something that. Has, has <laughs> but been we known. knew I, it was just, human. We knew that. Like we actually knew that. I mean, I'm just trying to understand what's your point. So, so, so my point is, we lost a lot of time, January 15th. And again, I know you're talking about the report uh, that our, own, our that our nation has, but I'm talking about the World Health Organization, Dr. Treasurer, who we saw, who we were, who we were looking to in the, in the early stages of this for information, for understanding, and for knowledge. So I get what you're saying, but we looked to them for that. So I think no, we did lose no, time. no. You don't look to the World Health Organization when you have a United States military intelligence unit who you pay to do exactly that. No, you actually listen to your intelligence first before the WHO. That's just trying to sit here and pass the buck, Chris. Yeah, be a leader. Be a leader. I mean, is he a leader or is he not? Like, if you're in charge, act like you're in charge, accept responsibility and move forward instead of blaming China, blaming the World Health Organization, blaming Obama, who hasn't been in office for almost four years. Uh, Who else he wants to blame? He blames people within his administration. He never takes responsibility. Never takes any type of accountability. Chris, 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 I just want to just read this. This is a story right here. Right here. The headline is U.S. intelligence agencies started tracking coronavirus outbreak in China as early as November. November. I didn't see that report, but I, I want to look at okay. it. I definitely will read it. All right. Yeah. I, I, let me bring in an infectious disease expert, uh, somebody uh, who this this is what he does, uh, because, uh, folks, th- th- this is real what we're dealing with. Dr. Tayson Bell, critical care and infectious disease specialist, University of Virginia. Uh, Dr. Bell, welcome back to uh, Roland Martin Unfiltered. The, 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 you, you heard the conversation we were having here. Yes. Doc, when, you, when Donald Trump stands before cameras and what comes out of his mouth, testing is overrated, that has to anger you as an infectious disease specialist. It is absolutely infuriating to see the leader of our country spewing this nonsense. Um, Testing is absolutely important, and everyone who has any sort of confidence or intelligence about them understands that um, in order to safely open up the country, to know what's going on in our communities, you absolutely have to have testing. And the reason... um, it seems like we haven't met the goal, and so he's shifting and saying it's not important. It's always been important. It always will be important. The fact that you're not making it there, you need to own it up and and just say that this is what we need to do to increase our testing capacity. You don't then say it's not important. So, yes, when I, when I saw that, so first of all, I've learned to just expect nonsense, but, you know, every now and then it just seeps to a, a lower level. Um, this was beyond the pan, beyond the fold, and I, I, I couldn't believe it. I have no words for it. Uh, and, and again, when we see the fact that we just showed uh, the graphic there, nearly 90,000 deaths in this country. We'll be at 100,000 uh, next week. 
And again, the moving of the goalposts, it also has to be infuriating that we don't have a national testing strategy. That I, I remember the news conference, the Rose Garden. It was CVS, and it was Walgreens, and it was Walmart. How are we going to have remote testing all around the country in these parking lots? Has it happened? He stood there and touted Abbott has this great test, unbelievable test. Now the FDA is warning about all his negative results because, again, wasted time. T t t one or two months is critical in a pandemic. That is an eternity to be behind in a pandemic when the CDC and this administration farted around for two months and Trump is out there going, oh, there's only one person here from China who has it, or we have 15 cases, it'll be soon be down to zero, or you have Larry Cutlaw who said, oh, no, 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 this is close to being airtight, contained, don't worry about it. Yeah, um, like I said, um, 90,000 people have died. Um, the case count is actually much higher than that, uh, most likely, because we've seen that a lot of people have uh, died from illnesses related to respiratory causes that have not been diagnosed because they were not tested. So the death toll is, is much higher than that um, in actuality. Um, and, you know, we talk about statistics a lot, but when we round in a hospital, we see these patients. These are 90,000 lives of men and women, a lot of them black and brown, who have families, who have jobs, who have livelihoods. And these are people who are not coming back. Um, they can't speak for themselves anymore. Um, time is life in this pandemic, and information is life. Um, we absolutely have to get responsible, accurate information out there. We have to trust the science. We have to follow this. And to politicize any aspect of this is absolute nonsense, and it's dangerous. A vaccine might be a vaccine by the end of the year, um, but we've had numerous experts who said, folks, Look, it's going to be 12 to 18 months. You had Dr. Bright yesterday testify before Congress. He said it's going to be 12 to 18 months at its earliest. Your, your assessment of where we are. Roland, I certainly hope that we have something by the fall. Um, um, but um, vaccines take time. Uh, you have to go through a rigorous clinical trial process. You have to make sure that um, that they work. You have to make sure that they don't cause more illness. So SARS and dengue fever are examples where the vaccine actually caused more harm and um, people got sick from it. And so that process takes time. Um, there is this group out of Oxford who has a, somewhat of a head start on the process and they think that they can accelerate the normal timeline. Um, we'll just have to see. So I don't think it'll be ready, but I hope that I'm wrong about that. Um, there, was a, uh, there was a news conference today where there was uh, this this big announcement about about coronavirus drugs and things along those lines, uh, again. And what's crazy is is to watch it and to listen to Trump uh, downplay the very thing. And I'm that which is still illogical. So I want to play this for you. I know Post, you will. Uh, any questions, please? Yeah. Go ahead. We think we're going to have a vaccine in the pretty near future. And uh, if we do, we're going to really be a, a big step ahead. And if we don't, we're going to be like so many other cases where you had a problem come in. It'll go away at some point. It'll go away. Uh, it may flare up and it may not flare up. We'll have to see what happens. But if it does flare up, we're going to put out the fire. 
and we'll put it out uh, quickly and efficiently. We've learned a lot. Steve, do you have a question? We've heard that uh, the vaccine typically would take 12 to 18 months to develop. How can you do it in a speedier fashion? What makes you think this will work? Well, they started actually, I guess you heard in January, early January, and they've been working on it. I've, I know so many and private companies have been working on it. The government's been working on it. Uh, so we've got the time because we put a, a very and they've literally been working 24 hours a day. So we've got uh, we've got the time and we hope to be able to do something by the end of the year or shortly thereafter. But again, you know, it's not solely vaccine based. Other things have never had a vaccine and they go away. So I don't want people to think that this is all dependent on vaccine, but a vaccine would be a tremendous thing. And I will tell you therapeutically or therapeutics, uh, what's going on there is uh, equally as impressive. We have some things happening. You know, we have the Rendisivar from Gilead. We have uh, other things that are very good. I think that uh, a lot is happen happening therapeutically. I can't say that it's uh, relatively speaking, equal to what's going on with vaccines, but I think it's uh, it's doing very well, very well. So therapeutics are a big factor. Yeah, global, please. Is there a global competition? Doctor Bell, can you even attempt to? <laughs> uh, please, by all means, just go right ahead. I, I don't know what the hell I just heard. Can we just shut them up? I mean, let's just get them off the stage. Uh, at some point. Someone who's working around him needs to say this nonsense that's coming out of his mouth is making the country less safe. People are going to die if you give inaccurate information. Um, it's remdesivir, first of all. That's the name of the drug. It has efficacy. We've talked about that on the show before. Um, we have that. We don't have a vaccine yet. Uh, so to tout um, a, a process where we don't have anything yet, um, and say that it's more promising than something that you've already developed and you, you see that it has an effect, uh, that's utter nonsense. And this talk about it's going to go away, it's going to go away. That <laughs> Right. Like, yeah, yeah. It'll, it'll be, it's like, like pollen. Oh, it's going to blow away. It'll be gone. We've seen time and time again that infections like this can come back. They can persist in the summer. They can, 1918, um, the Spanish flu came back with the rage the second uh, second season in the fall. It actually uh, killed more people in the second wave than the first one. Exactly. You just need to pay attention to history, pay attention to your scientists. And if you don't know, that's okay. You don't know. He's not a physician. No one expects him to be a physician and to understand the subject matter. That's okay. That's not your job as a leader. Your job as a leader is to get people around you who know what they're talking about. And when something comes up that they're a subject matter expert in, you get out of the way and let them talk. Um, and the fact that Dr. Fauci, Dr. Burks, the people who, who know what they're talking about, uh, Secretary Azar, uh, they are not on stage anymore. That is really concerning to me. And the fact that it's replaced by this person who is spewing utter nonsense um, it makes me mad because, Roland, honestly, um, physicians on the front line, nurses on the front line, we will see the effect of inaccurate information, of inadequate testing, of inadequate care, of racial disparities. We will see all of that manifest in the unit, in the hospital. We will see these people suffer. We will see these people die. And when the power of accurate information um, can help turn a tide of this pandemic, and you just see what's happening on the stage right there. It's, it's, I, 
I'm so angry right now. I, I do have to ask you this before we go, and that is, I saw this story about Dr. Joseph Fair, the NBC News virologist, who said he did everything right. He said that that he followed every precaution, flew on a packed plane somewhere. He believes he got it through his eyes. So, so, so now, so now, so now, I'm like, okay, so do we? I mean. It wants in masks, but do we now have to wear goggles? Do we not? I mean, what, you know, what do you make of this? Right. Um, so we've known for a while that if you're in close contact, it can be contracted through all of your mucous membranes. These are your surfaces that uh, make liquid. So your nose, your eyes, your mouth and are included in that. Um, if you're in close contact, then it can get into your eyes and cause infection that way. And that's why part of PPE, when we go into patients' rooms, includes a mask and goggles or some form of eye protection so that um, we can make sure that we protect ourselves that way. Um, I think for the general public, um, if you're maintaining that social distance of six feet or more from people, um, the chance that those secretions or things that come out of people's mouth or their nose when they cough or sneeze Got it. not as far to get directly in your um, in your mouth. Um, but if you are going to be in close contact uh, with other people for a prolonged period of time, um, I'm thinking uh, dentists, right. barbers, uh, that's a good idea to put some eye protection on. Dr. Tayson Bell, we certainly appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much for your insight. Thank you. All right, folks, let's go to Lieutenant Governor of Michigan, Garland Gilchrist. They have been dealing with a major issue there. Many people in Detroit have passed away uh, from this. We have seen just this dramatic impact uh, as well. Uh, he has created a task force to tackle the racial disparities as a result of social inequalities in places like Detroit and Flint. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Gilchrist, how are you? Roland, it's good to be here with you, my friend. Uh, first and foremost, uh, uh, let's just talk about this. You just heard Dr. Taysom Bell. You list, you hear this nonsense coming from Donald Trump that this thing might just go away. Well, vaccine, maybe we don't need a vaccine. We got therapeutics or whatever. Yet we're seeing people who are, I mean, a bus driver in Detroit, woman coughs, he's dead two weeks later. This is not, and all the people trying to talk about, you know, HIV and AIDS, look, you can get HIV or AIDS and you can live for the next 20 years. We're seeing people who are dying two weeks later. I mean, this is real. And to put this in a, on a personal perspective, I've lost 20 people in my life to COVID-19, including a cousin yesterday. I mean, this is hitting our community, the black community in particular, in ways that it's not hitting other parts of the, of the of our population. I mean, in Michigan, black folks make up 14% of the population, yet we've accounted for 40% of the people who've died, 41% actually, the people who've died in the state of Michigan. So that disparity is clear, and this virus kills so quickly. And to your point, you know, we have so many people, so many people of color and black folks are overrepresented and the people who, even in the midst of the stay-home orders that have been in place in Michigan and other parts of the country, have still had to go to work because you work at a grocery store, you're a bus driver, you're a nurse, you're an administrative professional at a healthcare facility, you're a utility worker, you're a first responder. And so you're out there risking your life to make sure others can stay home and stay safe. And that is one of the things that the Task Force on Racial Disparities here in the state of Michigan is looking to tackle. What kind of protections can we have for uniquely vulnerable people? And in places all around this country, that's black people. Are, are you in Michigan, are you getting what you need or are you still battling with other states for PPE, for other things along those lines? Because you swear, listen to, listen to Kaylee McEnany and Trump, that all oh, states are getting everything that they need. We're all fine. We're great with tests. Everybody is good. 
I mean, the lack of a national strategy on testing and on personal protective equipment absolutely directly contributed to loss of life in my city of Detroit, where I'm speaking with you from right now, in the state of Michigan and across the country. We have worked hard, and frankly, I think every state, state leaders across the country have worked as hard as they can to try to procure equipment, to procure testing kits and testing component in the absence of that national strategy. And we've put in place plans where now FEMA is stepping up. And now they are delivering equipment and, and testing swabs and components so that we can ramp up our testing because there is no way to move forward without adequate testing. But we still need more from the federal government. This is the job of the federal government, to make sure that every state in our nation has the resources they need to respond to things that are bigger than statewide problems. And certainly a global pandemic qualifies for that. So we're on the right path, thanks to the professionals who've been working so hard in Michigan, in the public and the private sector, at the municipal level and the state level. People have really stepped up and stood tall. So I'm proud of that work, but we have a lot more work to do, and we can do it better when we come together. The, when we talk about um, how so many of us are being impacted, New York Times has a story now about all of these uh, hospitals who have stopped uh, surgeries, losing lots of money. Mayo Clinic could lose $900 million this year. John Hopkins, uh, $300 million. But many of the hospitals uh, that serve um, uh, uh, low-income folks are even in a more desperate situation. What is it looking like there in Michigan? I mean, it's been a tough situation, and, and it's been, frankly, tragically ironic to see hospital systems uh, doing cutbacks in the face of the biggest public health challenge of any of our lifetimes. But you know, it, it calls into question and under a bigger understanding as to how hospital business models work. You know, certainly the reason that we asked for there to be a pause in those sort of elective procedures is because we needed to make sure that all the equipment was available to treat the spike of the potential spike in COVID-19 patients, that we had as much medical equipment, hospital, bed, ICU capacity so that we could take care of people who may have contracted this deadly virus. And so as we move forward, as our public health system has built that surge capacity and, and now may have the ability to withstand any surges in the future, you know, we're on a path towards re-engaging those type of activities and those kind of surgeries, and I think that's going to help that uh, hospital business model. Uh, before you go, i got to ask you about this here. Uh, the decision not for the legislature not to meet because of these armed protesters. Um, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I can't imagine state legislators, if a group of black protesters were there, they're saying, oh, no, we're too scared to meet. That's why you have police. That's why you have folks there. I mean, that to me, basically, these thugs got exactly what they wanted by intimidating state officials in Michigan. Well, let me be clear about something. First of all, I'm the president of the Michigan State Senate, the first black person to serve as lieutenant governor in our state. And so I was presiding over the chamber when you had men with guns as tall as I am, and I'm six feet, eight inches tall. Mm -hmm. uh, they're parading and intimidating and brandishing them and, and scaring lawmakers. And, you know, we had a lawmaker from Detroit who wore a bulletproof vest because she feared for her safety. And you're absolutely right that if a group of armed black men uh, came to the Michigan Capitol, where we still are one of only two states that allows open carry in our state capitol, yeah, that could have went a whole lot differently. And we were certainly thinking of the history with the Panthers when that happened and they changed the laws in the state of California and across the country. You know, but I, but I want to be clear. They were not there, frankly, about the stay home, stay safe order. They weren't there about COVID-19 because, like, you can't shoot a virus. So having a gun at that kind of protest or demonstration has another purpose. And especially when you couple that with the racist 
imagery you saw. I mean, we had a state senator wear a Confederate flag on his face. We had people having those uh, Confederate flags draped on those weapons. Mm -hmm. We had Nazi swastikas. We had, you know, sexist symbols of people hanging Barbie dolls because we have a female governor here in the state of Michigan, Gretchen Whitmer. Um, that was a political rally empowered by the dangerous and destructive rhetoric of the president who has politicized the response to this pandemic in a way that is costing people lives. And those people thought they were standing up for him. They were standing up for politics. But our role as state leaders and as public servants is to protect and promote public health and public safety. And so that means that we're going to make decisions for people and not for politics. And, we, and going forward, we're going to make sure that we have a more equitable you know, distribution of how law enforcement treats people who are not uh, stepping up and doing what they need to do to protect themselves, their households, or our communities. So will, will, will the legislature in there in Michigan, will they step up and ban guns in the state capitol? I mean, that, I mean, the is, go ahead. The ball is in the legislature's court. So our legislature in Michigan is controlled both chambers by Republicans. And I think the reason, or one of the reasons why you haven't seen stronger action, and instead you've seen fraternizing with those people who are, who are in our gallery with long guns, is because, frankly, they agree with the protesters. Because, as I said earlier, they have politicized the response to a pandemic. We are planning in the best interest of public health and people following the world-renowned experts, including the leadership of our medical executive, Dr. Jonay Caldoun, a black woman. They may not like the fact that we have such a diverse leadership team here in the state of Michigan. But I'm here to tell you that we're working on behalf of the people of Michigan, and we challenge the legislature to step up and do the right thing to make sure that lawmakers can do their job and conduct the people's business. The legislature claims they want the power and the opportunity to do that. It's difficult to do that under the intimidation of, of open carry brandished firearms. Lieutenant Governor of Michigan Garland Gilchrist, we certainly appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Rowan. Take care. Stay safe. Yes, sir. Thank you very much. Bring my panel back into this. Rob, Brittany, and Chris. Brittany, you heard Lieutenant Governor there. That says a hell of a whole lot uh, that, that the legislature will not meet because of these thugs and their guns, and Republicans have no problem with it in Michigan. That is sickening. I mean, I love the point that he made in terms of, you know, if this was a group of black folks that were armed like that, we absolutely know that this wouldn't be the response. Um, I also like the point that said that this was like truly just, this is a political moment um, and they're making it a political situation as opposed to dealing with the health needs of the state and of the country. Um, so it's unfortunate that. Chris, what do you make of that? What do you make of a legislature not meeting because out of fear of these people walking around with guns? Isn't that the point of state police? Yeah, I, I think, I mean, frankly, there's no, there's no talk around that. I, I think I'm, I'm all for, obviously, uh, uh, bearing arms. And, but look, I, I think there's, it certainly poses a challenge. And I, I don't, when it comes to being, obviously, doing legislative duties, um, you know, they shouldn't, be, they shouldn't feel intimidated no matter what political party you are. They should be free to do their job. I, I, there's, just, there's just no way around that. I think it's something that's challenging. And I, I actually like what uh, Senator Governor Gilchrist said best. I mean, uh, you, you can't shoot a virus. I mean, and I think, I think obviously, they knew what they were coming from. They knew the tension. They knew the motive. And I think it was to intimidate. Um, and if they want to ha have have the uh, state reopen, I think there's a different ways to go about that. Uh, President Trump has talked about making a deal. But uh, I think there certainly is ways to go about that if they want to stay reopened. Uh, and I, I don't think intimidating legislature uh, is the best way to do so. Uh, Rob, real simple. What these are, these are the Tea Party thugs who Donald Trump is trying to rile up because he yep. needs white anger and resentment in order for him to try and win in November. Yep, pretty simple. And I, and let me just say, here in Ohio, we 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 actually shut down businesses as well. Uh, there was some protest, but not near that level. Uh -huh, I wonder why. Oh, because we have a Republican governor. Because this is not about the virus. This is just about trying to get people mad. 
And what does what does the Confederacy have to do with the virus? And what swastikas? What does any of that have to do with the virus? Hmm, it doesn't. These people are just trying to intimidate. Uh, they're they're looking for reasons to be angry, and they are thugs, and they need to be checked. And I, I think this is this is about intimidating people. It has nothing to do with the right to bear arms. Nothing. And in fact, um, that legislator who wore the Confederate mask first tried to deny what it was, then admitted it was indeed a Confederate flag mask. Right. Yeah. I bet. That's what they do. That's what they do. They deny it, and they try to blame you when you call them out on their racism. Like, why are you always talking about race? Why are you being racist? But, like, let's stop. And, 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 and I do want to point out, and obviously, I was, I was clearly that's wrong. Obviously, try to cover up the Confederate flag and then say it was. I, I, I'm with you on that. But, but I do want to point out, not every Republican... Uh, let me say this carefully. I, mean, look, I think people associate uh, many times... Uh, especially in this particular administration, uh, people talk about Republican Party, they talk about racism, and Confederate flags. I mean, there's a race for I, I'm black. Chris, what was that? I'm Mr. Chris, oh, Chris, okay. let me ask you a question. Out of both yeah. political parties, which one defends the Confederate flag over the other? Well, so I, I don't want to say it's a party statement. Role. Okay, I mean, okay, 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 Chris. Yeah, I, if there are people, if there are people who are members of the Democratic Party, and there are people who are members of the Republican Party. Which one of those members is more likely to defend Confederate flag and Confederate statues? Which one? So, so, so I think we all know that traditionally, if there are any individuals uh, who who have any of those type of issues, it, it's generally it's on the the right side. The, the, their party affiliation is, is on the right side of the aisle. So, hold, 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 so, hold, no, hold on. So let's unpack that. So the point I'm making is, anytime you see these, so so in Congress right now. Who is the person who lost his committee assignments because he made what essentially were white supremacist views? Is Steve King a Republican or a Democrat? Well, 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 no, well now, Steve King is a whole other situation. No, 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 no. Is Steve King a Republican or a Democrat? He's a Republican. Now, when you look at uh, Mississippi, who, in terms of Confederate flag, recognizing Confederate history, Virginia, recognizing that who is more likely to recognize the Confederate history, Republican governor or Democratic governor? I would say Republican governor. When you've had people in Tennessee and North Carolina who have argued keep up Confederate statues, are they Republicans or Democrats? Well, but again, I, but also, I would also want to say this on Confederate statues. I, 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 think... I didn't say white or black. Are they Republicans or Democrats? Which one oh, is Republican. it? Republican. So, Republican. so what you have is so anytime. Like so in 2020. So in 2020, if an issue comes up that involves Confederate flags, mm -hmm. if you had to put money on it, you would bet they are more likely going to be Republican than Democrat. Yeah, yes or it, no? It's deeper than. It, yeah, go ahead, Chris. Yes or no? Hundred percent. Yep. Yes. Yes. Republican. Hundred percent. So I, I would bet. So it. what does that say that? Confederate flag-wearing, Confederate statue-loving people are more comfortable in the Republican Party than the Democratic Party. What does that say about the Republican Party? I think it says that there are certain members... And, and again, and, and then we, let's use Steve King as a great... great Iowa, Iowa, great example. I mean, many, uh, many, many of us in the Republican Party and other members of Congress, people have talked about... I mean, there, we know that, that's a different scenario. Steve King is... I think we all know... He is he still in the party? Yep. So, is, Chris, is he still in the party? He is. Has he been expelled from Congress? No, he is not. He has not. Is the Republican Party uh, still accepting of, of Steve King? 
so so behind closed doors, I. I no, 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 not behind closed doors. Let's. He's still. A, he's still. A, that's my point. Rob, go ahead. Rob, go ahead. And Chris, I'm actually help you out a little bit here. So, like, look, there. The fact is. Um, Every Republican is not racist, and that's not what I'm saying. Right. I ran for office. I got support from Republican donors, some, right. uh, not very many, but I got, I did, I did get some support. So I'm not going to say that okay, people across the board, anybody that's a Republican is a racist. Here's the problem with this current president, though. Beyond what uh, Roland just went through, you have people in his administration that are white supremacists. You have a president that has embraced, that have said things that no other president has. Has said he's talked about I'm a nationalist kind of hitting wink wink white nationalist. He's got people in there uh, who are actually proclaimed white nationalists working for him, and people are okay with this. So the problem with the party is that they're indifferent. They'll they'll tolerate this overt racism. And the Republican Party used to be the party of just you know they would just do the little dog whistle. It's a bullhorn. Clearly he is calling for people to come out. Clearly he's inciting this and he's creating this culture. Uh, that is empowering people to feel as if they can push back in a way more overtly. So, and it is dangerous, and we have to call it out. So, we need people not not only behind closed doors, but directly confront the hate because it's having dramatic effects, as I'm sure we're going to talk about and, more. And, and, and Rob, and I certainly, to, 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 I, I like your thought process and how you speak. And look, and, and I'll say this. Uh, speaking of hate, one of my frustrations that we were several of us were at the White House and uh, during during Black History Month, and we had a reception and the president whole nine. But but let me tell you what I'm mindful of. When we talk about hate, uh, a very close friend of mine, attorney Mark uh, Little, received a lot of criticism. When I say a lot, they made fun of him on SNL, uh, uh, CNN, the whole nine. Uh, Don Lemon did the whole thing on him, and and simply because he sat there and he prayed uh, for President Trump uh, with him. And he, he got a lot of criticism. There a lot of criticism for that. People, how dare you do that? How can you pray for a man? This and that. So, uh, so me, I'm a Christian. I, you know, uh, so a black man, black Republican, but I'm a Christian, strong Christian. But at the end of the day, whether people like him or not, I'm never against. When you talk about hate, I'm never against uh, pr pranks for someone whether we like them or not. I think we should pay for any president, but especially uh, President Trump. He, he has a lot going on, obviously. But but that to me, I think we should address issues on both sides because that's hate. If you can't even pray for a president of the United States. That's absolutely crazy to me. People were upset about that. I'm sorry. Yeah, is this? So, I'm uh, sorry. Is this the same man who ridiculed Nancy Pelosi for saying she prays for him? Well, the thing is. No, I'm asking you a question. I, is yeah, this the it, same it, it, man? Yeah. Did Donald yeah. Trump ridicule Nancy Pelosi for publicly saying she prayed for him? But so, this I, is. I, but I, but I, but this is the same Donald Trump who white conservative evangelicals love who they hold up, who talk about how God placed him there. So, Chris, if you're going to take offense to people being critical of Mark Little, well, then you should be criticizing Donald Trump. If you're going to say as a Christian, that's why you, you don't like their comments, well, then you should be equally offended when Donald Trump ridicules Nancy Pelosi for saying she prays for the president. Do you? But, 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 also, but, but I want to say this, I, I do, I do want to say this. You, I think you and I both know, but Pelosi doesn't like the president. All right? No, 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 so, hold up. I Can you so. answer my question? Was it wrong? Yeah, so, if Nancy Pelosi said, you said, I'm a Christian. Nancy Pelosi correct. says, she's a Christian. Nancy Pelosi right. says, she prays for the president. Donald Trump claims to be a Christian, ridiculed her. So, if you are going to get upset that people ridiculed Mark Little, are you not as offended that Donald Trump ridiculed Pelosi for saying he she prays for him?
Yes or no? Right, but the difference is, but the difference is Mark, Mark was sincere and serious about it. No, no, hold, hold, stop. Wait, wait, wait. Pelosi, hold I, up. I, I, I'm not sure if it was satire. Wow. Hold up. Hold up. I'm sorry. So hold up. You say you're a Christian. How, how, how? So how can you, as a Christian, determine the sincerity of Nancy Pelosi when she made the comment? Are you saying that Nancy, Kroos, Nancy Pelosi was not being sincere? Are you saying that she's a fake Christian? So I'm not saying she's a fake Christian, but I, I think it was said. It, so I, again, I, I wish we have the clip to, to look at it. But keep but talking, I, I I'll get the clip. Hold on, hold on. Keep talking. Keep keep talking. I'll get the clip. Wait a minute, but Rob. I'll say wait, this. So, if you don't mind, sorry. But, but, but my, ahead, my thing is this. Uh, my, my bad, Rob. But my, my thing is this. I think. It, I, I think it was in a context of kind of satire. I, I, like, let's really be real. Pelosi, and now don't get me wrong, does she want him to do well? Let me, does she want our country to do well? Let me just say that. Yes, she does. But what I can tell you, and, and no, not about being a fake Christian, but what I can tell you is this. Mark sincerely sat there and had a strong and powerful prayer, not for attention, not for grandstanding, because he genuinely felt and wanted the president to do well, wanted our country to do well. Now, Pelosi, on one hand, can talk, about President Trump say all these negative things and he's this and that. And not just negative things as in he's not doing this or that, doesn't like him. I mean, harsh things. And I'm not saying he didn't say things about her. I'm, I'm talking about her right now. But then you right. turn around 30 seconds later and said, oh, I, you know, I had a prayer for him to hope the best and whatever she said and, you know, wanted, you know, wanted the Lord to touch and wanted him to do really well. That, that doesn't, that doesn't add up to me. It doesn't make sense. We all know it doesn't add up. So, right. it does, Mark, and in Mark, fact, well, first of all, what you just said is, is, is not... What she said. In fact, you asked for it. Here it is. Go to my iPad, please. Do you hate the president, Madam Speaker? Because I don't, I don't Cohen, hate anybody. Representative Cohen, I don't have a great house. We don't hate anybody. Not anybody in the world. So don't, don't accuse, accuse me. I did not anybody. accuse you. You did. You did. I asked a question. And, and Representative I, Collins yesterday suggested that the Democrats are doing this simply because they don't like the guy. I have nothing to do with it. Let me just say this. I think it's an important I point. think the president is a coward when it comes to helping uh, our, our kids who are afraid of gun violence. I think he is cruel when he doesn't deal with the, the, helping our dreamers, the, of which we're very proud. I think he's in denial about the Constitution, about the uh, climate crisis. However, that's about the election. This is about the elect. Take it up in the election. This is about the Constitution of the United States and the facts that lead to the president's violation of his oath of office. And as a Catholic, I resent your using the word hate in a sentence that addresses me. I don't hate anyone. I was raised in a way that is full, a heart full of love and always prayed for the president. And I still pray for the president. I pray for the president all the time. So don't mess with me when it comes to words like that. Chris, you called that satire. So, I don't. I don't think that she. And I'll be clear. I didn't say the word hate, but 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 what I will say. No, no, no. But, no, but, but what you said is no. You said you you said her comments were made. They were satirical comments. We just well, played I did them. Say that, correct. We right. just played. I, I did say that. What was satirical that, about what you just heard? Well, well, because my thing is this: she can't say. Uh, Negative things about the Trump and, uh, and he's he's this he's he's difficult playing all these all these negative connotations she talks about the president right and then you can't say thirty seconds later oh I I, I sincerely and I'm not saying she doesn't but what you I, can't I, say I, is actually you yeah. can what she said is she's Brittany she separated she said stop that's politics on this yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I mean she was real clear she simply she said wait a minute that's politics she said take 
that up in the election. Brittany, go ahead. Absolutely. You know, I think this is a lot of political theater. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, whether or not Nancy Pelosi wants to pray for somebody um, is really beside the point, because if we're talking about Christians being invested um, in making a difference and doing Christian-like things, then we would actually have to talk about the policies that Donald Trump is trying to oppose, which are obviously not Christian in and of themselves. You're not going to lock kids in cages along the border um, if you actually are a true Christian and you care about individuals. You are not going to um, that wasn't just you know, allow Trump, way, white supremacists to do things that's going to incite violence against Asian Americans, against Black Americans, if you are a true Christian. I think it's very evident that Donald Trump's policies don't speak um, to someone that is actually a Christian or that actually wants the best for this country. And I think whether or not Nancy Pelosi um, is criticizing Trump, I think, is really is really beside the point. Like, she can pray for him, that's fine. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's very interesting we see all of these Christians supporting and backing Donald Trump, knowing that his policies aren't very Christian-like at all. Rob? Rob and Chris. Rob and Chris. You're going to like some of what I say, you're not going to like some of what I say. Where I thought you were going with this is the fact that uh, simply because uh, a black person happens to be a conservative or happens to be a, be a Republican means that they're a sellout, we have to hate them and, and talk about them a certain way. I disagree with that completely. Now, that being said, I have black conservative friends, and I will wound them with the truth, because real friends will hold you accountable. And this president right. is not like normal Republican presidents. He, he requires another level of introspection. He requires another level of, of, uh, of criticism, because he has embraced hate in a way we haven't seen before. Therefore, we're not talking about how much money one gets or we're not talking about economic policy. We're talking about the fact that he doesn't respect people of color. He doesn't respect black people. And that's the problem I have with the words he says. That's the problem and the, cl and the climate he creates. It is dangerous. That's what I think. And that's the reason why we have to call these things out when we hear them. Chris, final comment. I just thanks. Well, I, I just look. I just hope that we can all uh, come together. And I, I genuinely mean this. I hope we can all just come together. And I think it's a lot of a, a lot of backfighting on both sides. You know, obviously it's a real problem. So I really hope that we can generally put all, all of our issues aside and really come together. Not just for COVID nineteen, but as a nation, because there's a reality. President Trump, let's say he gets reelected, right? Which I think it's a strong possibility. It's another four years. And, and, I, and I'll say this overall, not just as American people, but as, obviously as a black man in our community, we can't sit for, at that point, it would be nearly a decade, eight years, right? It's almost 10 years. We can't sit here and say, oh, and, and be pissed off and nothing happened. We have to sit here and say, okay, how can we advance ourselves uh, as a culture? How can we do the best for us as people? That's why I think it's important. So my biggest thing that I always tell folks all the time is that you can't sit here, be frustrated, be, be angry, and not have, want to have anything done or be mad because someone so talked to him and someone so didn't talk to him. We have to be about what can we do as a country, as a nation, and overall, uh, um, our, our community has suffered for so long. We have to look at this and say, okay, he's now president and he's elected president. What can we do to come to the table to doing things better for our community? That's what I would really urge us to do and come together to talk about. And maybe Brolin, that could be a segment on the show. I, mean, I think it's really important that we look at that and say, what can we do to work together First and how all, can we I, advance I, our I, community? I have no problem working together, but when this administration is afraid to come talk to black media, that won't happen. When this administration is afraid to sit down with black people who disagree with him, that's not going to happen. And we're going to have an honest conversation. When you have this administration 
okay, who on one hand wants to tout the First Step Act, but on the other hand <laughs> sides with cops when it comes to consent decrees, when it comes to prosecuting people at the highest levels, reinstating uh, private prisons, we can have a much broader conversation. But this is real simple. This administration does not want to actually have that conversation. And guess what? This is open anytime, any day to any of them but they are afraid to come have the conversation because, see, they know this is not Fox and Friends. There are no airheads named Ainsley Earnhardt and Brian Kilmeade and Steve Ducey here. You're not going to have airheads like Peter Hegseth. You're not going to have people uh, who are lackeys like Maria Bartiromo and Lou Dobbs and Sean Hannity. See, what's going to happen here? You're going to get asked real questions based upon real facts, and this administration simply can't handle that. But if they want to have the conversation, Chris, please... Carry the message to him. I'll be able. To, I'll be happy to have it anytime, any day, anywhere. We come back. And I'll say this: I, I certainly will relay that message. Um, I, I think people like Jerron, I, I think, will be uh, probably great to speak to. Well, but, guess but what? I if, look, I, I'll be happy to talk to Jerron. But when I moderated yeah. the National Minority Supply Development Council Town Hall, uh, Jerron as well as Ashley Bell didn't show up. I was the moderator. Again, let me know when they want to have the conversation. We're here five days a week, two hours a day, 6 to 8 p.m. Eastern. Got to go to break. We come back. We're going to talk with the Black Lives Matter activists in Louisville about the Breonna Taylor case. That's next. Roland Martin Unfiltered. We can face this pandemic head on. We can do what it takes to protect our families and our communities. Together, we can get our economy moving again but not without the tools and resources we need to get the job done. To win this fight, it is going to take a public service army. Don't let Congress fire the frontline workers who can save us. Text FUND to 237263 to tell Congress to fund the front lines. I would have never been able to raise five kids alone without this excellent job and the security of my union working closely with my employer to make sure that I got the raises I deserved, that I had the medical benefits I deserved, that my children needed, making sure I have job security, making sure that um, I'm overall successful. It's exciting to keep making a difference. It's exciting to just be part of such a great cause involving people, which is what I love to do. All right, folks, Black Lives Matter Louisville has released a list of demands regarding the fatal shooting of Breonna Taylor by Louisville police. They're asking for a transparent investigation, dismissal of charges against her boyfriend, and the release of 9-11 recordings. Joining me now is Chanel Helm. She's the core organizer for the group. Chanel, glad to have you on Roller Martin Unfiltered. Thank you so much. Um, it is unfortunate this case has not gotten the attention it deserves early on. It really took black folks having to yell, scream, holler, and protest just to get uh, the attention that it deserves. I mean, this shooting took place in March. Yeah, the um, early morning of March 13th, uh, one of our accomplices hit us up and was like, they shot somebody. It's uh, it's a mess out here. And I was like, what do you mean it's a mess? Um, she's like, they've just been out here for a very long time. Um, and so that's when we knew that something was way, way wrong with the situation. 
Um, a few of our um, adjacent family members of some cases that we had before were like, um, they went in a botch raid, they did another no-knock, and um, she's gone, and I'm like, who? And they said, Breonna Taylor. Um, and then we start getting the information, and it's just been crazy ever since. Um, I'm so thankful that they were able to get legal counsel and start that right away, but LMPD, Louisville Metro Police Department here, has been ambushing black folks, um, especially in the last uh, four years, just repeatedly. Um, six, uh, two weeks later, they ambushed a black man outside of the hospital downtown in the middle of COVID, and six months before that, Shelby Gasway at a, um, a Kroger's, um, especially like almost a year to a white man walking into a Kroger's uh, shooting black people. And this is a year today that they ambushed DeWantes Mitchell after some rogue surveillance. Um, it's just been really uh, tiring, but, you know, we're ready for the fight. Um, I, and the demands we sent out, it's just got to build a foundation for it to stop, actually. Um, the, of course, uh, the governor is now called again for uh, a transparent investigation as well. Uh, you uh, have um, um, folks who are saying these cops should be suspended. Uh, three cops involved. They're in desk duty, correct? Yes, they are. Um, those cops actually should be fired. Um, and we are really calling for uh, one of the early Ferguson demands, which was snatch their pensions, too. We watched these cops um, across the nation, you know, do horrendous crimes, murder people, and then be able to get placed, you know, um, in different uh, police departments as if, you know, they, they made an accidental mistake or, or they've had a lot of tardies at work. They've murdered people. And so we believe that they shouldn't be able to get that job again. I know the family is asking for them to go to prison, but we know that there's protections even if they were uh, found guilty. They get out early or they have special prisons that they go to. Um, we believe that snatching that pension would be um, a key, uh, you know, um, message, not only in just this situation, but any other situation where officers make it their option to take somebody's life on the street. Um, the, of course, um, families filed this particular civil suit. Uh, obviously, we're, is, COVID has impacted uh, public protests, things along those lines. But have there been demonstrations there in Louisville uh, since this happened? Yes, um, particularly with uh, white folks who want to participate in action. Um, Louisville showing up for racial justice. Um, they did a particular action this morning. They've been protesting actually every week with the noise parade to let people out of prison. And today was devoted to Breonna Taylor. Um, a few white people also went to the mayor's house and protested outside of uh, his house in his neighborhood. We kind of found out his neighbors aren't too fond of him either. All right, then. Anthony, uh, what assistance do y'all need? What do you want people around the country to be able to do to help y'all there in Louisville? Um, please sign that petition by Color of Change to get these officers fired. It will send a message. We're pushing that for other families here locally as well. Um, please, uh, we want people to really research what it means to have civilian control um, over police accountability. That's really important, especially in situations like this. And it could lead to making policy where independent investigations take place, ones that are open. Um, we know that this is a civil um, institution. The law enforcement agency is such as the police, and we should be able to make that decision um, in their investigations what information has been pulled and what hasn't been pulled. Um, and we also want Kenneth Walker, the boyfriend of Breonna Taylor, all his charges released for defending his home in a botch raid that night. Uh, one of the things I've been talking about, uh, how, how silent the NRA has been. Have you seen, <laughs> have you seen Second Amendment gun activists standing up for Kenneth? So, right? 
Um, it's been kind of interesting. A few of us have gotten hit up by uh, some militia folks. I'm not for sure if you are aware of. In February, actually, we had um, some militia uh, folks. We are Gun Rights Kentucky. I don't know what their name is. Um, but they went down to our Capitol and did a protest. Kentucky is not a state that is threatening anybody's Second Amendment rights. We don't even have the opposition as most other states are. I mean, we're McConnell country, right? Rand Paul country, um, that are actually threatening anybody's Second Amendment rights. However, they did hit me up to offer any type of protection during a protest, and I thought that was extremely weird, especially um, given their history and who they kind of look to as a mortar in this time period. Um, but uh, hearing anything from Second Amendment rights folks, of course, when it comes to black bodies, we're just really ignored in that situation. Kenneth Walker had every right to defend his household that night. Um, we are seeing um, the injustice around whether or not we can carry guns or not. Um, and I'll take it back to that situation where we had that white man shoot up the progress and kill two black elderly folks. He got into a shootout after he left um, in November of 2018. Um, so what we're seeing here lately, especially during COVID, is, is really um, showing a lot of true colors around like what are white politicians and um, what militia folks actually, who values whose second amendment rights, it sure isn't black people. All right, then. Well, we certainly appreciate it. Keep uh, the good work up uh, and putting pressure on the folks there because it is certainly needed. Chanel Helm with Black Lives Matter Louisville. Thanks a bunch. Thank you so much, Roland. All right, folks, going to a break. When we come back, we'll talk about uh, this white man who, uh, showing support for Ahmaud Arbery, ran down his street with a TV on his shoulder, and nobody stopped him. He didn't get shot. And no one called the cops. He will join us next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to check out Roller Martin Unfiltered? YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And subscribe to our YouTube channel. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real. It's Roller Martin Unfiltered. See that name right there? Roller Martin Unfiltered. Like, share, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Roland S. Martin. And don't forget to turn on your notifications so when we go live, you'll know it. All right, folks, uh, the folks at Seek, go to my iPad, please. Uh, at 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, they're going to be having this first-of-its-kind virtual comedy experience. D.L. Hughley.
cancer and others. Again, you see the countdown clock right there. It's going to be in one hour and 21 minutes. And so what you just saw there, uh, this is the uh, Seek VR headset created by uh, Mary Spiel, the sister. We had her on the show. Black, black woman. She actually is the inventor of this particular headset. And so what happens is you just simply place your phone right into uh, right into here and then of course close it up and then go to their website and then their app and you can actually experience experience uh, the comedy showcase and so uh, they have these headsets these uh, VR headsets on their site seek.com uh, for sale uh, then also they have these 4d 360 degree headphones first of all i love the two stuff because they're in black and old gold uh, my frat colors uh but these are awesome uh, because uh for gamers uh it comes with it comes with attachable uh, detachable headset uh and again folks it gives you 360 degree sound amazing sound if you want to buy these you have a promo code you can use this is just for our followers uh and it is rmvip2020 RM, in fact, we should have a graphic. So, guys, next time on Monday, be sure I need a graphic. Uh, so, RM VIP 2020, RM VIP 2020. Put that promo code in if you want to buy the headphones, buy the VR headset. You get that discount to buy it. They're amazing. Uh, but again, uh, be with me. Uh, I'll be there checking out the comedy showcase. I'm definitely going to have these on because I want to experience. Again, they've never done this before. A live virtual reality comedy showcase and so i'm looking forward to that uh and so that's going to be uh, so you go to seek.com c-e-e-k.com and again you'll see right here uh go to it it's in one hour and 21 minutes and so i'm certainly uh, looking forward to hanging out with deal Higley, chris spencer uh, for this one of a kind uh, deal and so seek.com rm vip 2020 so be sure to check it out we thank seek uh for partnering with us here at roller martin unfiltered just like we thank AFSME for partnering with us as well uh, on the show and shout out to lee saunders today's his 69th birthday lee is of course the president of uh, AFSME. so happy uh, birthday to my frat brother lee saunders folks on Ahmaud arbery's birthday thousands around the country join with hashtag run with mod movement and documented their 2.23 mile runs using the hashtag. Well, a former pastor in Vero Beach, Florida, ran more than two miles while clutching a flat screen TV to prove that the color of his skin was enough to protect him from the fatal treatment that Ahmad received. Watch this. Hey guys, going on a nice leisurely jog here in the south, in the suburb, carrying a TV and perfectly safe. Wonder why that is. I run with Ahmad. All right, I figured it out. I've got my hat on backwards. I'm shirtless, like I'm on some episode of Cops. I'm running with the TV. Someone's gonna stop me now for sure. Cause if not, what was the problem with the mod? Hey mom, when I told you I was gonna run through a neighborhood carrying a TV, did you worry for my safety? No. Did you think someone would call the police? No, of course not. Huh, I wonder why that is. Joining us now is that former pastor, Richard Desmond. Richard, welcome to Roller Martin Unfiltered. It's absolutely my pleasure to be here. Well, not to be funny, but it's my privilege. Uh, that was uh, that video that you did that's gone viral. A lot of people have been talking about it. And, and you said that here you are running an outfit with a TV. And people are just waving at you. How you doing? Like literally gave no thought. Why is this dude running down the street with a TV on his shoulder? 
None whatsoever. And I knew that people weren't going to react. I knew the police weren't going to be called. I could have made good money betting with some people on that one, I guess. But the reality is I've even walked into half-built houses, been caught one time by the owner, and he ended up showing me around after we talked for a little bit, told me to come back in a week and see how his progress had gone. That's crazy. And see, what's interesting about this is so many people, since uh, the story became national, all been restored, people have been saying, black people, white people saying, I always do this. Now, look, I, the, the, the house I had constructed, I didn't, I didn't walk in the damn house but one time because I'm like, I don't see what the heck is going on. I'll come back when, it's, when, when the walls are up and it's all done. But that's a thing. But, but all of a sudden, what you're proving in your video is that when you change the color of the person's skin, it changes people's whole view of that situation. And Roland, let me be clear about this. I was the kind of person that when I first heard the concept white privilege, I didn't think it existed and argued against it because when I thought of privilege, I thought of sipping champagne on a yacht. There you go. And just living in luxury. What I didn't understand is the basic human decency that people of color don't experience. Well, you know what? What you just said is what I have long said that the that the ish the problem with the phrase white privilege is that yeah, most people hear white privilege and they think an aristocrat, they think a wasp, they think somebody who is rich, not realizing that you can be the brokest white person in the world, but you get white privilege just because you white. One of the things that has really come out this because I've been invited to all these amazing conversations and I'm learning, I'm growing, I'm figuring things out for the first time is that a lot of people of color, they don't know how little we know as the white community. We, we hear well, actually, about we do. this every once in a while. Yeah, some, we do. Some do. Yeah, some do. But a lot of us are ignorant. We just don't know how bad the problem is. Well, actually, in Dr. King's book, Chaos or Community, where do we go from here? He talked about it. He said... White people literally have no idea about their own lack of understanding about Americans' racial history. Uh, and they live in sheer denial. And so when things happen, they go, oh, my God. I mean, I'll give a perfect example. When um, um, 2012, um, I was in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, Eric Erickson, big-time conservative, far right, then working for redstate.com. Um, we were standing outside the hotel. We had gotten to the hotel we had both, we had, I wrote with him from Charleston to Columbia. Mm -hmm. CNN says, hey, we need y'all to get to the venue earlier than we thought. We quickly get dressed. We go downstairs, and we're waiting outside for the car. Uh, this Asian woman gets out of her car. We're both standing, we suited and booted. Now, I've got tie on, pocket square. I'm dressed way better than Eric, okay? But she literally walks up to me and, and sticks out her keys. And Eric goes, wow, wow. I look at him like, I don't park damn cars. And Eric said, yeah. and what you just said, Eric said, Roland, all these years, I have heard black people describe this very situation, and I felt that they were just, you know, not making it up, but just, uh, just embellishing, and it wasn't that big of a deal. He said, this yeah. is the first time I saw with my own eyes what black people experience, and he just, he was just blown away. He went on his radio show that, that following Monday and talked about it, and he said, 
I had never experienced it. And that's part of the deal. I think what these videos have done, these videos have shown white people, and it's like, damn, these black people were not joking. This stuff actually happens. Just like the Vietnam War, when often people saw the videos of the horrors of war, it kind of woke them up to it and said, this isn't okay. I think that the videos of Ahmad, I mean, that's what happened to me. I, it was a compound effect. There were so many videos that led up to this. But when I saw Ahmad's, I still sometimes close my eyes and I see him dying. And it's what compelled me to say, okay, this is a human problem. We need to speak up. And the people in my community speak up and 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 i applaud sean king for giving me very simple instructions because that's the thing i am a millennial i do as little as possible typically he made it really easy for me to know what to do he told me exactly what to do i just carried a tv while doing well i think that i want to bring in my panel right here rob chris uh, and Brittany. Uh, i'm sure they have some questions for you Brittany. i want to start with you Sure. Um, I I applaud you for what you've done. Thank you so much um, for bringing attention to this. I thought you brought up a really excellent point about saying, you know, white folks in this country are really ignorant. Um, what I think is interesting, and this is me coming from the educational perspective, do you feel as though um, race and uh, racial history in the country is something that you learned when you were growing up through the secondary school system and perhaps even college? I mean, I think I heard the 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 cliff notes versions of it and uh i independently studied a lot on martin luther king jr but i've probably learned more about the history of race in the last week than i have in my entire schooling um chris your question for richard desmond yeah richard first of all i want to say i, I think it's phenomenal uh what, what you did and uh, I, I think it's truly inspiring and i hope others uh, can do the same uh, but I, I really want to understand all your faith, and I, I think it's phenomenal. And uh, so, what was your real inspiration? Uh, I know you you tell you talked to Sean King. But what was your inspiration and the, and the impact uh, that you really wanted to make? What inspired you to do so, and what kind of impact did you really uh, expect to make when you first thought of this? I was really hoping that I would get a thousand views. So you got to understand this. Like this is totally <laughs> unexpected, and it's opened my eyes to just the need for people or the well, maybe the lack of support of people in my community speaking up against this issue. There's a lot of us that do care. So now I'm kind of going, okay, now that this reaction has taken place and I'm learning all about the problem, my eyes are opening, you know, what's next? Right. And because the forethought wasn't much, it was just something needs to be done. It was a compound uh, effect. And yeah, my hero and inspiration is, of course, Jesus Christ, which a lot of people think of as a shockingly bleached skin, fine robe wearing religious man, but he actually was a revolutionary who created the first society that all people of all walks of life called each other brothers and sisters. And so I, I hope to follow in his footsteps as best I can and try to figure out how to create bridges for unity in these very complex cultural problems that we've had for hundreds of years. My, my part is probably gonna be small in that, but I, I wanna do whatever I can. <laughs> Rob. First of all, I also want to share and applauding for what you've done. Um, and Chris kind of asked my question, but I have a follow-up to that. So you were, it sounds like, if I'm correct, you were kind of, you were inspired and really changed your perspective seeing the injustice of, of what happened to Ahmaud Aubrey. Uh, 
if that's the case, how do you think we have to take, I want you to take yourself back to the mindset you have and the, I think the reaction to when you hear something like white privilege, I think it's you, you, you described it best. Somebody is rich or something like that, but there's also this, I do think this automatic reaction because people are like, well, that's just a way of trying to blame me for something. I didn't do anything wrong. I'm not a racist. I didn't kill Ahmaud Aubrey. How do we, because I think we as black people could talk about it forever and we, we have to live it. We have to go through it. We have no choice. Um, how do you think we can reach more people in your congregation and others who, who might have the same initial reaction to say like, well, I didn't kill Ahmaud Aubrey, so why should I be concerned about that? Well, I think one of the things that happened with me that has really helped me become not only a one-time TikTok video guy, but somebody who wants to take up this mantle is by the reception that I've gotten, that it was so welcomed and I've been invited into conversations like this. And I just absolutely am floored and amazed and honored to be part of these conversations. So that's part of it. But what I'll say is to speak on one of the things you you kind of reference is I'm not a racist, right? I'm not a racist. So the moment you call some you call someone a racist, they're immediately always trying to think of the reason why they're not a racist. And they'll always find something. Everybody, no matter how racist the person is, they'll pretty much always find a reason. I've got a black friend, you know, we've all heard that, that kind of stuff. And instead, what I'm trying to do is to when I talk to my white friends about the prejudice, the prejudgments that they're making in their lives and their hearts that are actually negatively affecting other people. Because while you might not consider yourself a racist, and I'm talking to my white community here, but when you might not consider yourself a racist, you probably have prejudgments that might be negatively affecting people. And so I don't know, that's at least one of the ways I think we can turn the conversation to a way that, that is a little, people are a little bit more receptive to have white awareness. Yeah. Maybe there's something going on. This is what I've said to my white friends. Maybe there's something going on in the community of inner city and people of color that you're not aware of. Is that possible? That there's some things that you're not aware of? And you should go, well, yeah, probably. Okay, maybe we should listen. That's, that's what yeah. I've been saying. And I will also say one final thing, if we can, on this. It's as we go to churches, I'm also a Christian too, and I think we have to put ourselves in uncomfortable situations. And it's not comfortable to talk about race. The truth is, I think there are some people that are well-meaning, but just don't want to have the conversation because it's too difficult. So, right. But that leads to indifference. And as uh, Dr. King said, indifference is the biggest threat to injustice. It's not it's not the people that are, it's, it's obviously tragic what happened to Ahmaud Aubrey, but the point is the conditions and the environment and the microaggressions that created the condition where that could happen, the system where you don't even have you don't even have a charge. This was on tape. This was known, and the fact that this could go on tells you that this goes on a lot more often, and people accept it because of indifference. So I think we have to put ourselves in these uncomfortable situations as Christians. So I admire what you're doing. I say keep putting yourself in uncomfortable situations. Well, and I think what I think what it requires. I think I, I think it requires white people like Richard to go talk to white people. Absolutely. And I think because the reality is reality is Richard and just and look the reality is there are things that you have heard in conversations your whole life and no black people were present. And what it requires is it requires somebody white at that moment saying, hold up, what do you mean by that? Explain that. Why is that your view? What you got? And that's the piece. That's the thing that it requires. You need white people in white places, in white spaces, challenging other white people on exactly what you talked about. There, there was this moment that I listen to an audio tape about Brianna Taylor 
And it was sent to me only because I'm now part of this community and, and been opened and welcomed into this, these conversations. So I wouldn't have known about this. Like I, I wouldn't have, Brianna Taylor, I probably would have never heard her name. And there was this moment when I was listening to this very emotional tape and thinking, this isn't comfortable. I'd rather not look at this. And then I thought, you know, I actually could not look at this. And the, my follow-up thought was, what a shame that would be if I decided to choose to take a blind eye to hurt and injustice that was happening throughout this country just because I could. That's the, the thing that we need to fight with the white community for, and my community, that I need to fight. I'll say that because I, that's my part that I can hopefully play is to say, I know we could put a blind eye to this, but that's not, that's not what we meant by color blindness is that we're blind to injustice. That's not what we want. We want white awareness. Richard, you make a great point. Sir, we appreciate it. Thank you so very much for doing that video. And hopefully there are people who are going uh, to uh, be paying attention and will be listening to uh, what you have to say and having those uh, very difficult but critically important conversations. And thank the real warriors like you guys who are fighting this fight every day. I'm just grateful that I was able to make an impact, even a small one. All right, then. Thanks a lot, sir. God bless. All right, folks, uh, there have been parents who have been losing their ever-loving minds as it relates to this whole uh, COVID-19. Um, just, I mean, it, it's amazing how parents can't handle being locked down with their kids. This is not just, uh, trust me, an American thing. Uh, I'm going to show for you in a second this video uh, from Israel where this woman was just outside of her mind because uh, of the whole deal. I'll pull up in a second. Just give me a second. There have been some other videos, and I'm trying to find those. Uh, I, a couple of black mothers who are just just hot, mad, angry. Uh, and it's it's been, for a lot of us, it's been hilarious uh, to see these reactions. But I think people are now realizing that, you know what? Uh, people talk about teachers and principals, but... Um, all these people having for the first time getting the taste of what life is like for their kids at home, yeah, it has been certainly uh, eye-opening. And so I'm going to have that video ready in just a second. Uh, but I want to go to a couple, bring a couple of our guests right now uh, on this whole issue. Rodney Robinson of, of Virgie Benford Education Center in Richmond, Virginia. He's a 2019 National Teacher of the Year. Uh, and like I said, folks have been looking at, you know, all around the country, parents having to deal with homework and all this sort of stuff. And they realize this stuff ain't easy. Uh, ch ch check out this teacher here. Check this out. <laughs> I'm 
הילדים שלנו יעלו עלינו כמה אנחנו סתומים. זה לא לעניין, באמת. אני יודעת להפוך שבר מדומה. גם, גם אם הוא מדומה, אני רוצה להבין משהו. למה צריך להתעסק איתו? הוא לא אמיתי, עזבו אותו בשקט. מה אני אומרת פה? גמרתם עלינו, זה רק היום השני. אם לא נמות מהקורונה, נמות מלמידה מרחוק. זהו, פרקתי. בבקשה, להוריד. להוריד קצב, תניחו להם. שיהיה יום מהמם. Ah, ah, from the New York Post, that was too funny. Uh, let's now go to uh, Rodney Robinson. Rodney, there's a lot of parents who are like, I did not know all this stuff teachers went through. Yeah, yeah, everybody's struggling right now, you know. Nobody's really prepared for this, teachers and students included, especially the parents. But we just do the best we can to make do in this situation. The real problem is I think too many people are fo focusing on academics. Right now, we need to focus on the social, emotional well-being of our children. Their lives have been interrupted like never before, and they're struggling to handle all of this immediate change. So we really need to stop worrying about their academic ability and worry about their mental health and make sure that they're able to cope and survive and deal with the current situation. But I think also what's happening is parents are also realizing the amount of work Uh, the amount of homework and assignments and follow-up that, that kids are dealing with, which you not have to say, they are now sitting in the same position as the teachers, and it's kind of like, yeah, but you might only have one, two, three, four kids. Now imagine being the teacher and you're dealing with 20 or 30 in a classroom. <laughs> yes, yeah, it's, it's really trying time for parents. I think um, I was talking to Google the other week, and one of their most researched terms lately is how to thank a teacher. Because parents are really appreciating the struggle that teachers are going through right now. And I'm really thinking about teachers who are parents, because you have to educate your students, but at the same time provide an education to your kids all in the same 24 hours of a day. And that's really, really hard right now. And so I salute all the parents and all the teachers who are struggling and maintaining during these trying times. Uh, we don't know how long this is obviously going to end. Uh, and so for the parents who are at their wits end, uh, what tips can you give them? Uh, for the parents who are at their wits, wits end, I just say, keep striving, do what you can. I said earlier, these are, this is something that has never happened before in the history of education. And so just do what you can. We know things are stressful right now. If you can't keep up with academics, just sit down and read a book with your kids. Have a family group study of a book. Literacy skills transfer no matter what subject you're doing. So just do what you can. Do not overburden yourself because we're struggling right now. Everyone's struggling. You know, people have bills. People are losing their jobs. Family structures have been changed. And it's really added stress trying to keep up with such academic rigor. So take a step back and just read a book and just keep your kids updated on literacy skills. And then once schools open up, turn them back over to us and we'll meet them where they're at to give them the education that they need. All right. Now, got uh, either a question or comment from each panelist. I'm going to start with Chris. So, so my question is, so I have, I have nieces and nephews, and, uh, and I know it's obviously, and first of all, congratulations to you. I know it's obviously uh, been a challenging time, but so when you look at the uh, when you look at the school, and obviously now you look at uh, uh, parents homeschooling, practically homeschooling uh, their students. Do you think this is something that 
uh, we can look at in, in a long-term perspective that we should that we should look at in, in terms of just keeping people at, students at home. You think it's more effective per se because uh, they're in a family environment? Uh, no, because ultimately kids need socialization, and schools are a place that teaches socialization skills as well as academic skills. You can't keep a kid at home their whole life then say, "Hey, go out into the world and get a job and socialize with people when they have never dealt." with people outside of their community. And as segregated a country as we are, if we keep kids at home, there are some people who will never see someone of an additional race or have interactions with someone of an additional race. So it's really important that we keep the school structure. But ultimately, this is a moment where we can reimagine what schools are. I think right. this is the, probably the biggest change to education since Brown versus Board. And it's really important that we reimagine what school could be so that all students could have great outcomes and become what they want to be in life. Right now, we know that's not happening in schools. COVID-19 has exposed a lot of inequities. And so as we go back to school, it's our opportunity to attack those inequities to give every student a fighting chance at a quality education. Rob, but can one argue that, that they're sorry. more focused? But couldn't one argue that they're more focused because it's more one-on-one as opposed to having their friends around distracting them and things like that? Any thoughts on that? But who's one-to-one? When you're talking about kids that are doing well, you're talking about kids of privilege. A lot of my kids' parents are working and parents are struggling. They're essential workers. So they're not there to give them the one-on-one attention that they need. And so a lot of times when we're grading students right now, we're not grading academic ability. We're grading their privilege whether that's privilege to have technology, privilege to having parents who are there educating them, and this privilege. Yep. And it's really, really not a good idea to keep children at home. Yeah, I mean, even to add to that, you know, if you look at, first of all, you said it well, the, the folks that have privilege can do that. But even the folks with privilege, if you have, I can speak from experience, even when you have, if you have jobs, if you have a job yeah. to do, you got to work from home, you work at 10 hours a day, and you have to manage how the kids are going to do, how they're going to do their jobs, how they're going to do their homework, and you got to put their lesson plans together. You have to do all that because the teacher can is doing some of what they can, but they can only do so much. That is difficult even with privilege. Take all the privilege away, and you have a lot of our communities where you know they are the frontline workers. They are so they can't they can't even be there. So I want to really highlight what you just said. And by the way, thank you for the work you do as a teacher. I think teachers and all essential workers, which we learn what essential workers are, are not respected. So I, I'm glad everybody's getting all the thank yous. But as I say to people, if we're having to thank everybody all the time, that means they're not paid enough. So how exactly. can we make sure <laughs> that after this, you get more than a thank you, you get nice commercials that are million dollar commercials to thank everybody so the companies can look better? How do we actually make sure that people, that we can have something out of this moment to show us, okay, we need to actually pay teachers, we need to pay truck drivers, we need to pay the people at Amazon, not just make Jeff Bezos a trillionaire. Like, how do we make sure we use this moment <laughs> to invest in people, like you said? Like, how can we do this? We can just take that as a micro point and invest in teachers. Like, because we know states, sorry to go on long, but I'm passionate about this. Like, there are states that are talking about all this right now, how important teachers are, and they're cutting hundreds of millions of dollars in education at the same time. Well, the reality is we, we have to organize. Because as we go back to school, we know that budgets are going to be short, and we know that education is usually most cities and states, even the national government, that's their honeypot. If they need money for other programs, they take it from education. We need to make sure that that doesn't happen. 
We need to put people in the White House, put a secretary of education who actually cares about kids and all kids, not just those of privilege, and actually wants to put in policies that support teachers. Then we need to hold Congress accountable for funding our schools. We need to make sure that we have all the funding available for, for all kids to get an equitable education. And on a local level, we need to show up to these school board meetings. I spoke to a school board, several school board members who said, if we had just had seven people show up, I really could have changed policy. And if showing up isn't good enough, run for school board. That is the most democratic position in the United States, is running for school board, because you control curriculum, you control what your community prioritizes, and you control the future of the kids in your community. So just run for school board and advocate for those things. And teachers will have your back. And right now, parents will definitely have your back after experiencing what we go through yep. every day. Last question, yeah, last question from Brittany. Brittany, some money. Brittany yeah. last question. Do you have an opinion in terms of when the schools should be opened back up? Do you think that we'll be prepared by September? And if we don't, like, what will be, um, I guess, what type of things do we need to worry about? Well, the reality is we need to listen to science. You know, we need to stop listening to politicians who are, have agendas or who are trying to open up the country. We need to stop listening to economists. We need to listen to science. And when the scientists say it's, it's okay to go back to school, that's when we need to go back to school. Because if we're not, we're putting kids in danger. I saw a report that said all kids should be six feet apart. Where if you're in a class with 50 students, there's no way possible for you to sit six feet apart. So it's really, we have to listen to the scientists, but at the same time, us in education, we need to be innovative. We need to attack all the issues to make sure all kids have access to technology, resources, and learning during this time period. Because school may look totally different once we finally get back to school. All right, then. Look, we certainly appreciate it, man. Thank you so very much uh, for all the work that you do. Uh, and Thank keep you. it up. Rodney Robinson of, of course, uh, Richmond, Virginia, the 2019 National Teacher of the Year. Thanks a bunch. All right. Thank you. High schools may be closed. Man. Graduation ceremonies may be canceled. But we won't let that stop us. You through our old traditions, so are we. Join us on May 16th as we all come together. Say goodbye to the end of an era and welcome a new beginning with you at the center. It's time for America to celebrate and honor you, the high school class of 2020. All right, folks, we certainly want to thank uh, the folks with XQ America for what they're doing when it comes to that. Uh, that's going to be Saturday, 8 p.m. President Barack Obama will be a part of the Graduate Together, a social media, uh, frankly, just a huge celebration for all the graduates in 2020. And so uh, we certainly featured artists include Kevin Hart, Zendaya, Pharrell, Pharrell Williams, the Jonas Brothers, uh, and more. Again, it's brought to you by the folks at XQ America in partnership with the uh, Entertainment Foundation. Check your local listings because uh, a number of the networks are going to be airing uh, those, uh, airing the, uh, the celebration. We'll be live streaming it right here on our Roland Martin Unfiltered platform as well. And so we certainly want to thank uh, everybody uh, for doing that. All right, folks, in today's tech segment, uh, we have a unique product. Pop-Up Commercials is a company that creates advertising space for streaming companies when their subscribers press the pause button. Here's how it works.
Pop-up commercials creates additional advertising inventory for content providers simply by pressing the pause button on the remote control. In other words, you're watching TV, you pause it, and the commercial pops up. We've already built several prototypes on different platforms. We have agreements with some of our strategic alliances and our utility patent is paid for in full. There's a few problems in this space. The first is a bit personal. Uh, I worked in Hollywood for 20 years and saw a lot of filmmakers and production companies throw thousands, sometimes millions of dollars down the drain because the film they worked so hard to produce couldn't find distribution. Well, that problem can be solved through digital advertising, but 69% of viewers already feel that ads and uh, free content are too intrusive. In other words, you guys are tired of commercials interrupting your favorite TV shows. This is where pop-up commercials can help because we're allowing the viewer to potentially have a commercial-free viewing experience if they never press the pause button. We're also generating revenue for the content provider when the uh, viewer does press the pause button. And three, we're filling a void, which is a lack of available video advertising space that a content provider can even sell to an advertiser. The digital video advertising market is an $18 billion a year industry. It's set to explode to about $30 billion by 2022, at which point we expect to have just under 4% of the market. We make money with content providers that distribute TV and film, streaming radio, video games, and podcasts. And we earn roughly 25% of all revenue generated from CPMs or cost per impressions when their subscribers pause. Our competition is AT&T and Hulu. They have a very archaic method of delivering ads compared to us, but we love our competition because them along with a few others have market caps of $200 billion each and can easily buy us out, which is part of our exit strategy. Our team has a strong background in tech, entertainment, media, and advertising, all key disciplines for success in this business. A few takeaways for you guys is that we're in between alpha and beta testing. We have agreements with some of our alliances, and we do have an exit strategy through our competition. Thank you. Joining me now is the CEO of Pop-Up Commercials, Charles Johnson. Charles, glad to have you on the show. One of the reasons we're doing this is because we wanted to highlight what African-Americans are doing in the tech field. Uh, and, uh, and the reality is, I mean, this is a place in the advertising world anyway. There are few of us. And so it's the same case in tech. Absolutely. Absolutely. Man, you're doing your homework. Where did you even find that? <laughs> that intro there. Um, we have a few changes that happen from there. There's a lot of updated information, but yeah, you're right. There's a, a definitely a void of uh, color in the tech industry, and um, I, I didn't realize that until I started getting into it. My background is actually as an entertainment as a writer, um, but once I saw the void in this, um, you know, I, I took full advantage of it. Uh, and so for this technology, uh, is obviously you're looking at publishers, uh, people who have blogs, things along those lines. Uh, and so do black people even know y'all exist? No. A, a lot of uh, people don't know we exist right now. And you know how this came about was I was, uh, someone sent me a clip of your show when you were talking about the IG battles with um, uh, Babyface and Teddy Riley and the problems that he was having with his platform and the uh, the media was kind of beating up on, I'm sorry, the public was kind of beating up on him, uh, on Teddy, saying it was his fault. And you came out and said, no, it's not really his fault. It's the limitations of Instagram that's not allowing him to do exactly what he uh, needs to do. And you went even further and said that um, he really should be monetizing um, his that battle on his own platform, not really throwing that money away to, to Instagram. And I think what's, what's going on is that a lot of uh, entertainers uh, and content creators, even like yourself, um, you don't 
really have or don't have access to people like my, myself to say, hey, here's a way for you to make additional uh, money on top of what you're doing or in place of it. So um, explain to people how does it work? If somebody out there, they've got a website, they've got their blog. So how does it? How does this work with them? Sure. Um, I'm gonna. I wish I had could just share my screen, but I'll just do like this. So here's Roland Martin Show. Here is an ad server company. So if someone is watching Roland Martin, Roland Martin Show and they press pause. A commercial is going going to pop up right in the middle of the screen, but that commercial has to come from somewhere. So it's going to come from an ad server company. So uh, your viewer is watching it. They press pause. It sends a signal to me, and then we send that signal to the ad server company and say, hey, Joe Blow is watching this. He likes Nike and Lexus. Nike and Lexus will battle over which uh, commercial should be sent to you, and then they send it back to us, and we send it to them, and this all happens in fractions of a second. Wow. Oh, wow. And so uh, have you been... So when did y'all launch it? How long has it been operational? Uh, and what is your hope? How many publishers do you want to have by the end of the year? Oh, boy. I, I, I want to try to get as many as I possibly can. But um, we're in testing phases right now. We're uh, up and running on iOS, Android, and the web, uh, which is essentially what they call web and mobile. We're going to start uh, integrating into connected TV, which is um, uh, like Apple TV and um, Roku and Android TV. Uh, so that's going to be our next phase. Um, so we're doing testing right now. We're in talks with uh, this company in, in uh, Southern California called uh, Pilot X, and uh, with them and Rolling Stone Magazine, we're going to be doing a test with them, as well as a video game company actually out in Houston um, to uh, start our testing with them, uh, get, get some data going, and then that should be able to attract not only the advertisers but uh, publishers as well. Gotcha. Now, do you have that now? So, do you, are your advertisers already lined up? There's a couple of ways to do it. So, um, I, I have someone that's handling the advertising specifically because it. it's not it's not as easy as it as it sounds. Right. Um, but they have relationships with ad agencies and with ad exchanges. That's kind of like the sea of commercials that when someone presses pause, they you know there's a little bidding process and then the commercials go through. So. Um, they have relationships with those uh, two entities, and um, that's how the uh, commercials will be served. Um, and you don't want to—it's kind of a timing issue. You don't want to go too early, but you also don't want to go too late. So when we do a test with uh, any of our uh, our publishers. We want to make sure that the publisher is kind of publicizing their their platform, letting them know what they're going to be doing. So. In the case of Teddy Riley and Babyface, let's say uh, they partnered with us. They would essentially use Instagram as like their platform to talk about, hey, we got a battle going on, this, that, and the other. We would go to um, to the advertisers and say, hey, Teddy Riley and Babyface are having an uh, Instagram battle on, uh, or a battle on this day. Let's put a budget together because th this is the amount of traffic that they have going through it. And, uh, you know, then it's a slam dunk from that point. It's all about marketing at that point. All right. Where can people reach you guys? I'm sorry? Where can folks reach you? Oh, uh, uh, if you want to, through email, it's info at pucks.tech, and that's P-U-C-S dot tech, T-E-C-H, info at pucks.tech. Um, or you can um, call us directly at 310-894-1202. All right, then. Charles Johnson, Pop Commercials. We appreciate it, man. Thanks a lot. Thank you.
All right, then, okay. folks. Got to go to commercial break. First of all, let me thank uh, everybody on the panel. Rob, I appreciate it. Brittany, I appreciate it. Uh, Chris, thank you so very much. Uh, enjoy the weekend. Stay safe. Uh, and, of course, uh, wash your damn hands. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Thank you so very much, folks. Uh, Going to go to a break. We come back. Little fun with Nikki Moore, comedian. Next on Roller Martin Unfiltered. You want to support Roller Martin Unfiltered? Be sure to join our Bring the Funk fan club. Every dollar that you give to us supports our daily digital show. There's only one daily digital show out here that keeps it black and keep it real as Roller Martin Unfiltered. Support the Roller Martin Unfiltered daily digital show by going to rollermartinunfiltered.com. Our goal is to get 20,000 of our fans contributing 50 bucks each for the whole year. You can make this possible. rollermartinunfiltered.com. All right, folks, every Wednesday and Friday, we have a little fun with our comedians. Today, it's uh, Nikki Moore, who's in the house. Nikki, what's up? Hey, boo, I miss you so much. Oh, hold up. What happened to the big-ass, wild, creative glasses you always wore? What's up? Wait a minute, Roland. My glasses are right here, but I'm feeling oh, I, a little I, like... I, I, thought a I thought you got LASIK or something. <laughs> no, I did not. Because <laughs> LASIK only works for a short term. <laughs> not wasting my money. I miss you so much. No, but what for? What's been up? I mean, you know, you're on no, lockdown. No. You can't go nowhere. I just want to go outside. I just fuck. Can I cuss? I'm sorry. Yeah, it's called, show's called Unfiltered. It is called Unfiltered, but you still a clean cut cat. <laughs> I just want to go outside, man. But I ain't taking no chances out in these Corona streets. Cause people stupid. People stupid. They are Look stupid. They are Look, stupid. My grandmama ashes. Girl, stop. Okay, you, leave your grandmother out of this. Let me tell you something. My grandmama loved Roland Martin, so you shut up and take her. <laughs> she loved you, no matter what. Put your. She was not doing nothing. She told me back in like 2000, early something. I didn't even know who you were, Roland. See. And she told me that this guy is somebody that you need to pay attention to. Well, listen to your grandmama. I did. And and she was right. She was right. Absolutely. Hey, boo. Absolutely. That's how that's how we're doing. So, so much. We got the uh well, what do you make of uh this fool, the orange one, uh down the street? He th three blocks from where we are in our office right now. Rolling. Oh, so you downtown? You downtown by the way, huh? Yeah, we downtown. We three blocks. Listen, the Cheeto in chief is just oh, he's 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 I don't I don't even know what to make of him. I'm scared of him. I'm scared. I'm terrified that this country has allowed a lunatic like that to take, you know, space in every aspect. This they they keep letting them do stuff. <laughs> well, look, uh, and you see his wife like, I don't want no part of this. You will never see her. Never. No more. I don't blame her. I, you know what? I, I, I think she I think she hanging out at a house in Prince George's County. <laughs> I don't even think she had the crib. She like... She Dude, like, she not even in D.C. She not in D.C. <laughs> I'm telling you, she in Prince George's County. Listen, Melania is somewhere that she's probably not even in the country, okay? If I was her, I wouldn't be in the country. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Gotta ask she's you this here. Country. It's a lot of mad, upset high school students. They don't have a prom... They don't have their graduations. They all down, depressed. Uh, if you had uh, a high school graduate, a kid who was all upset, what would you tell them? 
Oh, man, I would just tell them, listen, we don't control this. So when you do get old enough to vote, pick for pick the motherfucker who got the smallest feet. Because no matter who wins, they're going to have their feet so far up your ass, it ain't going to make a difference. <laughs> That's what I would tell them. So what you're saying is to the high school graduates, uh, if you're mad about your graduation, your prom, make sure, you, make sure you're behind vote in November. Make sure you vote as soon as you can. Make sure you vote and vote for somebody who has a sense of sensibility. Vote for Roland Martin. I'm writing you in. No, don't write me in. Uh, uh, that that's a wasted vote. Get this or get this fool out. So I got so so. What about this here? So being being on lockdown, it's a lot of people say they've saved a lot of money. Have I you, did have you too. done that, dude? I looked at my bank account today. I was like. Ugh. I did that. I did that. See, because you're not going out buying drinks at the club. Uh, you're not traveling. Hell, you ain't spending money on dry cleaning. You ain't buying no. clothes. I'm not even online shopping. A lot of people are online shopping. I'm not doing nothing, and my shit is stacking. <laughs> I'm so excited about that part. Like, keep me locked down until at least the end of June. I'm happy <laughs> about that. Happy about that. I feel like I'm going to come all the way up. But what's the first thing you... Okay, so let's say... Let's say we, we, we get past all this Rona drama. What's the first thing you want to do? Well, the first thing I'm going to do is get my feet done because they crusty. They crusty. And I need a man. You why, married, why, so why, it, it, ain't, it ain't no issue for you. Why can't you, you, know, why like, can't you do your feet alone? Huh? Why can't you do your feet at home? Dude, I tried, but it ain't the same. It just ain't the same. <laughs> Let me tell you something. The first course of action is this husk is like industrial on these feet. <laughs> it's 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 rough. I'm not even kidding. I'm I'm not shamed, but I'm embarrassed. Okay, like I I have some really hood like industrial husk on my heels. I can't I can't no matter what I do. You don't have, you don't have one of those things that shades all that dry skin I, off. I do. I got a pumice stone. I got everything, but. I think, you know, I think I got some gator in me. I think, you know, I'm, I'm related to an alligator or something. <laughs> I do. It's not working. It's just not working. I looked at my feet today, and I was like, I, I would show you, but, you know, I can't. Now, you talk about not having a man, but it's a bunch of people married. Uh, it ain't like much is popping in, uh, uh, at their house. I know, right? I know. One of my favorite corona uh, clips is the one where the dudes like you got you're gonna be quarantined with your wife, A, with your wife and child, or B, he said B, B, B. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, she wasn't too happy with that response. He didn't and, care and, what shot, he and shot him a look. Okay. Right, he, right, he didn't, didn't care, yeah. didn't care, didn't care, didn't care. Yeah, but I feel bad. How you how you doing? Like, is it is it like you and your wife getting closer? What's happening? No, nah, she upstairs and I'm downstairs. I got three. I got three levels. So you know what? Go do what Let you do. Let me tell you something. Jay Hood is bad though. She's go, bad. Go, 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 do what you do. Go and do what you she do. She bad. She bad. So you happy? Go, 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 do what you do. I'll be over Can here. I tell you? I'll be here with my tech gadgets and everything. I'm good. You are a techie. You are a techie cat, Roland. Like you are super techie. I have never. You taught me. Remember, you taught me about the uh, Mevo and all of that stuff. Right, right. I really need you right now, Roland. <laughs> what 
Well, trust me, a lot of folk been calling me trying to uh, pick in my brain. Yeah. Uh, a lot yeah. of comedians, entertainers, and others, they like, hell, Roland, you've been doing this for years. Uh, the world yeah. caught up with you. So all these TV people got studios in their house. I mean, I got a, I got a green screen, lights. I got a whole, I got a whole studio in my crib. And had it for many years. So people slept on you, Roland. I tried to I tell them. I always knew. I always knew. I... You, you were like the, the most techie person. You taught me a lot about technology. But the thing is, like, you, you like, you, you that cat, like, give me the phone. And you take the best pictures and you get the best angles. Well, see, that's and gone now. The technology, though. See, that's gone. See, now we got to take selfies. I'm going to be like, back up six feet. Back up. <laughs> Back your ass up. <laughs> Back your ass up. All selfies now gonna have some distance. Listen, selfies is across the Harleys now. And if I'm gonna take somebody's phone, I'm gonna have gloves on. Across the Harley. I ain't touching your phone. Right. This is what you gotta do. See, the way you do it, see, let me explain something to y'all. I'm gonna show y'all real quick. Let me show y'all how you take selfies, all right? Uh, let's see here. Heron, do you see my phone? I'm looking. Heron, do you see my phone? Yes. Okay, all right, Henry, switch the shot. Okay, so y'all see there? Normally you take a selfie, y'all. I don't know why it's not going, uh, okay, I'm gonna leave it right here. Okay, I don't know why it won't go horizontal. Okay, it's not on screen lock, it turns. It's not on screen lock. Okay, listen, let me show y'all something. Normally you take a selfie, and y'all see right here, the person is right here. Yeah. You're gonna have to go high. You're gonna have to say, stand back there by that pillar. Stand back there so by that pillar. First of all, what is that attached to the phone, though, Roland? What is that? Okay, what you mean? What is attached to it? This is an adapter. Like that thing hanging off. This is an HDMI adapter. Oh. All right, switch cool. shots, Henry. That's what it is. This is an HDMI adapter that allows for you to be able to plug uh, your phone up to an HDMI, where you can plug it up to your television or some other source. That's how you're able. Can we, can we do like a Roland Martin digital media workshop? Yeah, we can do that. Y'all gotta pay for it. I, I know. I'm gonna set it up. Can I set it up? Yeah, we can do that. We can do that. Right. I, I did one for the preachers the other day. Jamal Bryant asked me to do it. Yeah, because I was walking them. Because I'm tired I'm tired of these preachers doing video, and they got the laptop, and all you seeing is nose hair. I'm like, no. I need, Hallelujah. I need, Hallelujah. I'm like, I need you to raise that iPad where, where, where it is yeah. eye level. Yeah. So, Reverend yeah. Medium. Reverend Medium muscle. I, I, had, okay. I, I had to let them know. I had to let them know. All right, Nikki, we got to go. What's your cash app? Uh, Cause you had the house. Uh, Cash and, app. Yes. Yeah. Jokes USA. Rolling. Everything is just jokes USA. What is it? I'm Nikki Moore. Funny. Y'all got y'all got two Ks. I only need one. I only need one. One K. Blame Roland. it on Henry. That's Henry's fault. And Henry's an ass because he's my friend. I love Henry, but he's mean to me, and I think that's the reason I love him. So what's your Cash app again? Nikki Moore. Funny. And I no my Cash app is just jokes USA. Just Jokes USA. Yeah, don't send me no money, though. Just follow me. Follow me everywhere. Okay. I'm Nikki Moore Funny. All right, all right, y'all. Don't send... Y'all, don't send Nikki money, but y'all can send the show money. Don't send me no money. Send the money to Roland. You know why? Because that'll save me on my annual subscription. <laughs> send the money <laughs> to Roland Martin Unfiltered. Uh -uh. I don't need no money. Uh -uh. It's dollar sign RM Unfiltered. Get it right. Get it right. That's what it is. Dollar sign RM. I I'm a member. I, I subscribe. I so appreciate what I need it. For everybody to do, Roland, is to follow you because you are still the only news platform that we have who tells us the whole fucking truth about everything. Well, that's, and, that's the only way we do it. Yes, man. And I follow you every day because this 
is so important, and I can't wait for you to be on every fucking platform everywhere. Well, we getting it done. We gonna make it happen. Nicky you Moore. Thank you. I appreciate thank it, darling. You take care. I love you, dude. I uh, love you. I miss you. Miss you too, darling. Take care. And my grandmama ashes miss you too. Girl, girl gone. Gone. Don't you hold them ashes. Gone. Gone with that. Keep them ashes right there on the floor <laughs> on, on the counter. You stop hating on my grandmama. <laughs> I ain't hating on your grandmama. I'm saying, but leave them ashes where they are. All right. I want you to spill <laughs> nothing. All right. Thank you, Roland. All right, love folks. You. Love you, darling. Y'all might wonder why I'm wearing my Astros jersey and especially the orange rainbow hat today. It's in honor of this man right here. Bob Watson played 14 years in Major League Baseball, many men for the Houston Astros. He became the first black general manager in Major League Baseball history in 1993 when he took over as the GM of the Houston Astros. Then he became the first, served there for two years, and then two years, then became the general manager of the New York Yankees. Became the first black general manager to win a World Series title in Major League Baseball history. Bob Watson died Thursday night after a long battle with kidney disease. He was 74 years old. His son announced his death on Twitter. In fact, he played 19 seasons in the Major Leagues, 1966 to 1984, 14 of those with the Astros. I remember him uh, playing, uh, of course, we used to go to Houston Astros games. Me, my brother, and my sister would always uh, uh, see him playing those games. An absolutely uh, amazing man. And again, the Jackie Robinson of black executives in Major League Baseball. And so he was an unbelievable guy. Again, made history uh, when they won uh, that World Series title. And look, there needs to be more executives. He later worked as the league's vice president of on-field operations for eight years before retiring in 2010. Uh, in March, the Houston Astros dedicated uh, a youth facility in his name. He survived by his wife, Carol, his daughter, Kelly, and his son, Keith. Our thoughts and prayers are with them all who love Bob Watson. And so we want to certainly pay tribute to this pioneering brother. All right, folks. Uh, all right, here we go. It's Friday. We got to go. The Deal Hughley uh, uh, show on Seek starts in 45 minutes. But I do not want to go until we are able uh, to uh, hear the people who have given to us in the last 24 hours who have joined our Bring the Funk fan club. I told y'all, everybody who gives 50 bucks or more gets a personal shout-out from me. I ain't disrespecting the other people who've given. I appreciate what y'all have done, but, you know, these are people who are giving 50 bucks or more. Let's go to it. Adrian Wiseman, Alfreda Crowther, and Andrette Duncan, Anthony Brown, Anthony Perkins, Antoine Stevens-Phillips, Arnetta Henderson, Asaru Wright, Benjamin Cicero, Brian Hilliard, Bridget Suds, Cavanis. Uh, Cabinus Cabinus, uh, Crystal Crocheron, uh, uh, Deborah Thomas, Demetric Brown, uh, Dion Smith, Donald Rubin Realtors, Dondria Morgan, Donnie Stewart, Dre Bus, Duchess Britton, Fran Owens, Gene Allen, George Johnson, Harry Crockett, Johan, John Matthews, Joseph Williams, Joy Hilton, Kenneth Johnson, Kimberly Edwards, Lazelle Thomas Connors, Marisha, Marisha Foreman, Mary Creighton, Michael Lomax, Mildred Johnson, On the Way Services, Pamela Ross, Queen V, Robert Carter, Robert Holman, Sarah Snyder, Sakithia Austin, Shelley Williams, Stanley Lewis, Tyrone Lee, W. Woodrow, Vonnie Carpenter, Walter Shaheed, Pamela Matthews Johnson, Mikhail Yisrael, Phyllis Alsop, Veronica Freeman, Marcel Mont Montanez, and my girl, Hollywood writer and producer, Mar Brock Akil. Y'all, I appreciate all of you who support Roller Martin Unfiltered. Your dollars make it possible for us to do what we do every single day, bringing you the kind of information you're not seeing in other places. If you want to join, give our cash app, dollar sign RM Unfiltered. PayPal is paypal.me forward slash rmartinunfiltered. Venmo is at 
M unfiltered. You can also mail it to us. Mail it to New Vision Media, Inc., 1625 K Street, Northwest, Suite 400, Washington, D.C., 2006. Those of you who are watching on Face YouTube, you can give right there on YouTube. We certainly appreciate those who do. Uh, I see uh, Honey Ghana Tanay. She gave 100 bucks on YouTube today. Uh, and so uh, we uh, appreciate it. My bad. She said, Roland, please don't shout me out. My bad, honey. I went ahead and shout you out. But I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Folks, uh, don't forget, uh, Henry, show the, uh, the a graphic of D.O. Hughley. Uh, folks, go to seek.com. Uh, in 42 minutes, uh, there they're going to have uh, the uh, VR showcase. Looking forward to that. I'm going to be watching. I hope y'all watch with me as well. It's going to be a great experience. The first ever virtual reality live comedy showcase. Man, that's going to be some fun. And so uh, we're looking forward to it. All right, y'all. Hope you have an absolute great weekend. We always end the show rolling all the names of people who join our Bring the Funk fan club. We want your name on it, but you got to give. Please do so. Help us with what we do. Holla! Check the back seat. Check the back seat. All right, come here. Check the back seat. Gets in your head, right? Good. Because every year, dozens of children are forgotten in the backseat of a car by a parent or caregiver. All never thought it could happen to them. But with changes in routines, distractions, or a sleeping child, it can happen to anyone. Parked cars get hot fast and can be deadly. So get it in your head. Check the backseat. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. Hey everyone, this is Molly and Matt, and we're the hosts of Grown Up Stuff How to Adult, a podcast from Ruby Studio and iHeart Podcasts. It's a show dedicated to helping you figure out the trickiest parts of adulting. Like how to start planning for retirement, creating a healthy skincare routine, understanding when and how much to tip someone, and so much more. Let's learn about all of it and then some. Listen to Grown Up Stuff How to Adult on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Grown Up Stuff. Grown Up Stuff. Hey, it's Zuko and Kayla from The Wake Up Call. Enjoy your podcast, but when you're done, don't forget about us. We have a radio show. We try to bring a smile to your face every morning. We also talk to some of the hottest country stars of today, and we like to share some good news with That's What I Like. Because Lord knows that's hard to find. When you're done podcasting your podcast, listen to us at 92.3 WCOL. Set your preset on your radio right now, and don't forget you can listen to us online on the iHeartRadio app.